Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Nerdflix podcast. It is Friday, July 29th, and I will be your host for the evening. My name is J.M. Thomas. My friends call me John. You can become my friend by subscribing to the show on iTunes. Or if you don't use iTunes, then visit us at nerdflix.blogspot.com, where you can subscribe on your computer. And we also have tips there to help Android users subscribe on their phones. With me, as always, is one of my favorite individuals in the whole world, the man who put the anal in analysis, Mr. Austin Kent. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And it's also Austin's birthday, uh, or actually Austin recently had a birthday, so I want to wish you a happy birthday. Do you want to tell people how old you are, or is that a secret? Um, no, it's not a secret. I just don't want to kill myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm older than you, so I guess that would mean that I should kill myself as well. You're already dead. <laughs> Uh, and then on the other side of the table, as always, we have Mr. Mikey Simons. Say hello to the people, Mikey. Good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. So, this is episode four of the Nerdflix podcast. So, um, I feel like we're kind of getting the hang of this thing. It's almost like the fourth time you ever had sex in your life, where you're starting to get used to it. Like, uh, the fourth time I ever had sex, I was just figuring out that things that I could do would actually make her feel good. And then I was careful to never do those things again. So, in honor of our fourth episode, I was thinking that uh, we would open with just a quick trivia question for you guys. There are a ton of trilogies out there, but could you name four quadrilogies off the top of your head? Alien. One. Indiana Jones. Ah. I didn't think of that one, right there. Nope, I didn't have that one. <laughs> There's another real easy one, though, too. Um, easy, eh? Easy. Wow. We suck. <laughs> you, One of them you actually talked about. Oh, Shrek. I'm sorry. Oh, yep. No, that's right. true. Does yep. that one have five now? No, because they they killed it at four, and then Puss in Boots is the spell. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. But Kill Bill, I think, is, is going for the quadrilogy. No. Oh, that's oh, true. going for the trilogy. volumes? Sorry, he's going for the trilogy. Yeah. Volume three. And depending if you want to think of Kill Bill as one whole, because actually Weinstein split it up into two. Oh. It wasn't. And the other one you mentioned in an earlier episode of this show. Oh, man. You saw it in the theater. In IMAX and 3D. Oh, Pirates of the Caribbean. There you go. <laughs> the sadistic mermaids. So, I, I actually didn't have a written list. Some of the other ones were like Phantasm, um, X-Men, uh, uh, Terminator. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, and then a bunch of crappy ones that nobody cares about. So. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about our top ten movies. I believe we're going to be down to number seven today. Uh, then we have our shitty movie assignment. Our first shitty movie assignment that's actually been completed. So Mikey will be talking about uh, the movie Zoo, which I forced him to watch this week. Uh, and it's about a man who died from <laughs> having sex with a horse. And we affectionately, it, re- affectionately, affectionately <laughs> referred to it as the hoop dreams of horse fucking last episode. And, and it, ev- everything went south from there. It's not necessarily he got died from having sex with a horse. It's more like he died from getting raped by a horse. <laughs> True. Save it for the discussion. Sorry, we're not sorry, there getting ahead of myself. And then we're going to have our featured movie discussion about the 1955 classic Night of the Hunter. Uh, so you'll want to stick around for that. Uh, but before we get to that, then uh, we have a couple news items that we want to co- uh, cover real quick. So, Mikey, you want to go first? Sure. All the, all the adolescent boys are going to love this one. Uh, we've talked about Cowboys vs. Aliens, mm-hmm. and uh, 
the trending topic right now is Olivia Wilde. She does go nude in this movie. In Wait. Cowboys and Aliens? She does. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. No, no, I'm... I, it's amazing, I know. <laughs> was that was that a happy what the fuck? No, that's oh. like a... I mean, you can't get any more juvenile than Cowboys and Aliens, and, like, they're going to throw a gratuitous nude. Well, that had to be a big selling point, because it's like uh, it's like Halle Berry and Swordfish. Like, not a lot of people would have seen that movie. Yeah, but that was R, at least. The kids oh, had that's sneak. very it, true. Is, what's this one? PG-13, I think. Doesn't it? Can it be with nudity? Yeah. Sure it can. Hmm... I remember one time the family gathered for Tom Selleck and Runaway mm-hmm. on Cinemax, and my brother didn't tell anyone it was actually PG-13, and um, it wasn't a happy reveal when this woman revealed her yeah, this movie giant is- tits. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know you could show tits on a PG-13 movie. Yep, this is a PG-13 movie, Cowboys and Aliens. Interesting. So 13 is the magic age when you're allowed to see boobs. Yeah, apparently so. Apparently you remember that. Either you walk in your sister or you go see Cowboys and Aliens. Well, I have to remember it when I'm strolling through the park showing children pictures of boobs. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Austin. What do you have for us? Um, Let's see. So this will seem like good news, but you'll you'll understand why I'm angry in a minute. I'm actually upset about this quite a bit. So Amazon has announced... uh, Actually, this is a little late. Uh, This happened like a month ago. A Citizen Kane Blu-ray box set, and it's an Amazon exclusive, and it has all the same stuff as the DVD. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this in Blu-ray. It's it's going to be a beautiful film if they do it right. I'm guessing they will. Here's why I'm angry. Because as a supplement, you're getting Wells' second film, The Magnificent Ambersons, on DVD. That's a fantastic film. A lot of people consider it almost as good as uh, as Kane, and it might be even better if an hour and a half of it wasn't cut out by the studio. They melted it down for um, materials to use in the war effort. So we're never getting that back. But this is why I'm angry. Wait, hang on a sec. That You mean they actually melted down... The footage. The, the r- film? Yeah. What, what, what did they get out of that? Oh, man, I forget what it is. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't think that could be useful, but... Mm-hmm. And so especially in the amounts that they got it. Was it so important? <laughs> they were like, we have to destroy this one No, film. they were probably just being pricks. Yeah, that's what I... Okay. He made, like, a three-hour film, and it screened poorly. He was already in Brazil on this, like, uh, Good Neighbor tour. Um, Walt Disney was also there to keep South America from going into Nazi uh, hands. Yeah. So, um, while he was there, they... He, uh, Joseph Cotton gave him a letter, sent him a letter saying, Hey, sorry, um, we kind of reshot most of your film. And <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So which version do we get with the DVD? Oh, I mean, I, I don't think the footage exists anymore. Oh. I mean, it'd be amazing if it did. But So you'd just be getting the regular film that everyone's seen. It's, a, it's still a great film, and like you can kind of tell when Wells is directing, and it's stunning. It's really amazing. The, the reason I'm angry is because... We've been waiting for this ever since the release of DVDs. Like, this is only exists on VHS. And, like, three years ago, Warner's made a statement that they're working really hard on supplemental features and everything like that. Yeah. So, in three years, no supplemental features. It's on DVD, which is kind of like the equivalent of, like, VHS, like, uh, five, six years into the DVD lifespan. Like, who would want that? Yeah. So, well, no, didn't you say it's coming out on Blu-ray? Citizen Kane is. It, this oh. is a supplemental feature for whatever reason. 
to the Amazon exclusive box of Citizen so, Kane. They're giving you the disc with the Blu-ray, but they're giving you a DVD disc. A, yeah. a standard DVD bare, packaged in with your Blu-ray. Bare-boned, without any special features. I see. Okay. So, I mean, in one sense, yay, finally coming out on DVD, and I'm more or less getting it for free. But on the other hand, that probably means there's never going to be an official release of this thing. So Ooh. if you want Magnificent Ambersons, be sure to pre-order the $50 box set of Citizen Kane on Blu-ray. How very George Lucas of them, <laughs> the way they package this, that you you might already have Citizen Kane, but you have to go and buy another copy because you want right. this package deal with the Magnificent Ambersons. Apparently, maybe they were thinking, um, since Blu-ray is not doing so well, I mean, I, actually, I think if there's one movie, old film that's going to do great, it's uh, Citizen Kane. It's going to look great on yeah. Blu-ray. But I think they're kind of spinning it, so like, hey, if you want to... This, you're going to have to buy a Blu-ray player, and you should enjoy Blu-ray, I think that's the idea. Gotcha. But uh, it sucks. I'm just going to say that. I'm sorry. Did it ruin your birthday? <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't find out until... Well, no, I didn't. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Yes. Um, so I found out uh, just about a week ago that Sam Raimi is getting together with um, Bruce Campbell... Okay, if you didn't catch me, but, you know, this is completely audio, but as soon as you said Sam Raimi, I was like, huh? (laughs) And as soon as you said Bruce Campbell, my eyes were like, glisten in the sun. They're they're together again. They're getting together to produce a movie. They are going to produce the remake of The Evil Dead Part 1. And Sam Raimi's not going to direct it. He's just going to produce it. Bruce Campbell's not going to star in it. He just has a cameo in it. And they're handing it off to a director called Federico Alvarez, who's never directed a feature before. He's only had some horror shorts, uh, which I haven't seen. So Are they like little bloody pants? Yeah, or horror shorts. And uh, I haven't seen any of them yet, so I don't know if he's any good. But um, And Diablo Cody is working on the script right now. So basically... Everything that they could have done to piss off Evil Dead fans, they've done. (laughs) I think maybe outside of casting Mark Wahlberg as Ash, I don't see how else they could alienate the... uh the Evil Dead fans, and you're you're a big fan. Of I Evil am Dead. a big fan of Evil Dead. Does, so does it piss you off? Or? I'm happy that they're keeping them on as producers. Mm. Like you said, we have pretty much unknown what their works are, um, but still, how how bad would how how far would Sam Remy let them go with this production? Yeah, true. And well, the first one was, in my opinion, the worst one. It was the it worst is. one in the series because he hadn't really developed his slapstick style of humor yet. It was no. more serious. And because I actually watched them backwards, I saw Army of Darkness first, and I was like, "Oh, this is great! I want to watch the rest of them." And then yeah, I went man. back and watched part two, and I was like, "Oh, this is also great." Then I went back and watched part one, and I was really disappointed. <laughs> so you know, maybe maybe it won't be such a bad thing. Maybe they'll add more of the humor that was contained in the last two movies into the first one. So maybe humor in quotes. I mean, Diablo Cody is this going to be like ninety minutes of insincere dialogue, like the most obnoxious pop references possible? (laughs) Like probably now (laughs) I have read that. So I haven't seen Jennifer's body, which was written by her, but some people are saying there's a lot of the same type of Sam Raimi humor. And she even has maybe some references to his movies in there. Hmm. So she's obviously a fan. So maybe she will at least attempt to do it service. I don't know, but I actually think she's not, 
terrible. I don't I don't hate her as much as you do. I think she's clever in some of the things she does, but we'll see. It's hard to do somebody else's work as good as they did. It it is. And you know, as long as as long as she pays homage to it, it's fine. She needs she needs tree rape. <laughs> she needs a cellar. Yeah. And she has to have a, a, ha- a ripped in half poster of the original Evil Dead somewhere in the background. I'm sure they will probably work those things in. Although tree rape not sure if they would work that in for today's audiences, yeah. but Trigger is kind of frowned upon these days. Is it? I don't know. I, I think so. Got to watch 116 minutes of horse rape. <laughs> Wait, we're not there yet. <laughs> sorry, sorry. This Man, is the, the shitty movie. Upon? Is the worst idea ever. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you think this will be the last one? <laughs> or you, you're going to get your revenge and make me do one now? Too. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. So, anyway, so what have you been watching lately, Austin? We are already on this. Well, last week I took a recommendation from both of you, and let me just say I regret it wholeheartedly. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to excuse myself from the shitty movie assignment when it comes back to me, because I've already <laughs> suffered. <laughs> That's not fair. Well, do you want to say what the movie yeah, is? Yeah, Four Rooms. I mean, you guys did say the first three rooms weren't that great, but you did say I have to watch the first three rooms to get to the fourth room, which is apparently the greatest thing ever, (laughs) and it will make me just so happy that I watched an hour and 20 minutes of shit. Oh my God, you just appreciate it more. I I just appreciated it more after seeing the, the three boring rooms, so I guess I could have skipped right to it, but then I wouldn't have laughed as hard, but... You didn't even like the fourth room? No, not really. I mean, okay, have you guys seen that Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode? Uh, I, yeah, when I was a kid. Okay. Well, um, I guess I've seen it too many times, because I was waiting for them to do something besides just give you that kind of suspense. Because, really, that's a great episode, and, like, the way they get all that tension out of those objects, like mm. the hammer, or the nails, and, like, the string, and the hatchet. And he just kind of holds that note through the whole thing. Like he puts it like right there on the table um, in front of you while everybody's doing their own little thing and talking. And it's kind of supposed to be funny and hold the tension. But maybe I was just really pissed off because you guys have no idea how much I hated <laughs> the first three rooms. And like now, whenever I go to a hotel, I'm gonna have to move the fucking mattress <laughs> and make sure there's not a dead whore. <laughs> so thanks for putting that in my head. <laughs> so. None of, but you didn't like the fourth room. Still, I don't. I, <laughs> no, did, no. You didn't laugh at all. Did you laugh? No, I actually didn't laugh when he cut off the finger and ran out. I kind of laughed the next morning. I mean, it was pretty late. It was like three a.m. and I really wanted to go to bed. That might have, but yeah. but he was it. like so numb from the other rooms. He just had that stiff bellhop walk and shuffle right yeah. out the room. Like yeah, nothing. I kind of hated. I kind of hated um, Tim Roth in this movie. Really? Yeah, I I thought. It was interesting to see his performance kind of change between the four different directors. Um, and I, I think at first he was just so, uh, I, whatever. Kind of wanted just to slap him. Like He's very dry, dry pan. No, dry is awesome. He was, he was <laughs> um, I, I don't really have the word for it. But if you've seen Four Rooms and you've seen that, I think, you know, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was not just over the top, it was... All his gestures were really exaggerated, and yeah, like he was doing more of a physical performance, which is weird. Pastiche on like bad '60s, '70s films or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was, and I got it, but it was just so obvious. Uh, I'm not really. Let's just not go there. Um, so okay, like I said, the next morning I kind of chuckled because. 
the way it happened. I think actually the funniest thing about it is the guy is so confident in his lighter. <laughs> but like you can just kind of think he didn't even check think to even check like does my lighter work it's yeah. like we've seen this episode yeah. yeah it worked out okay in that one <laughs> i'm gonna get this new car because my car sucks <laughs> and then one so that kind of <laughs> makes me laugh but honestly it's like an hour and 20 minutes just to get to one joke which wasn't even that great so that and, makes me sad and it didn't change my opinion on quentin tarantino because that entire segment is just an appropriation of that alfred hitchcock skit and yeah, that's the problem you have with Tarantino in the first place. Yeah. So, well, that's a shame because I I thought it was funny, but I think you did have to suffer through the first three rooms in order to. It was kind of setting you up. It was, uh, and it kind of sucks because they are boring. I but. actually thought the punchline of the third room, the Rodriguez room, was funnier when he's holding the dead hooker's leg and like everything's on fire and one kid smoking and one kid's drinking and porn is on TV. Wow, you know what? I didn't even remember that. And, and that's the two young Antonio Banderas. That's one Antonio kids. Banderas. Yeah, walks uh, well, in. I remember the kids. Oh, okay. And he just sees all this chaos. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was, I thought, at least slapstick. It was at least kind of darkly humorous. And, you know, I don't know. I would say, yeah, one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Um, so was Rango. Let me just say that. I oh, have to, you agree with me. I have to agree with you. I actually stuck with it. Um, my God, it really irritated the hell out of me. See, this is funny because you guys are such polar opposites in your taste in movies. But mm-hmm. if neither one of you liked Rango, there's like no chance that I'm going to like it. I don't know who would like it. And I mean, I do have to agree. I secretly kind of thought, yeah, I bet you, I bet it's pretty good. I think I, I bet I'll like it. Um, <laughs> you, did, what, you didn't like the lizard's quest for water? <laughs> Um, okay, this is what I find irritating about Gore Verbinski movies, and you kind of get a little bit of in, of it in the third Pirates movie. Mikey, you know when, um, what is it, they go to the end of the world, and, uh, where Johnny Depp is kind of in that weird stasis limbo where he's talking to himself? Yeah, where he, kind of like the white sandy place. Right, and okay. it goes on forever and mm-hmm. ever, and it's, they it think it's so funny, but it's not funny at all. It's just like this kind of surreal, quasi-existential humor. It's like pursuit of intellectual shit. It's like they think they're so clever for skewing, like okay, um, they were all patting themselves on the back with the first pirate movie because Disney didn't want Johnny Depp to have like any gold fillings or anything. Mm-hmm. He's like the sexiest man alive, and yeah. they want to, so they kind of snuck that in with the dreadlocks. But the thing is, they're still making a Disney movie, like and with Rango, they're still making an animated kids movie, but they're trying so damn hard to throw in like. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson references Don Quixote existential moments and it's just not clever like I get the references I don't care and like one thing I will have to say is interesting is the character designs are really ugly and like for an animated film that's almost made to sell toys and plushes and you know like that's kind of the same thing with sticking gold teeth and Johnny Depp but at the same time I'm actually kind of amazed they got away with that and I, I actually kind of liked it more for that but Ultimately, the ending was just like um, Chinatown with Once Upon a Time in the West, like exactly, almost the exact same dialogue, and yeah, I, I was so angry. I, I wouldn't know I was asleep. Okay, well, <laughs> it didn't get better. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's, so, you didn't enjoy it as an adult. Do you think kids would even enjoy it? Or? I don't see why, because the movie doesn't take, it's, like, it's really obnoxiously verbose. Everything is like 
alliteration, but using like uh, I don't know SAT quiz words or something like that. Oh, so it, wow, it the it kind of has that draw, kind of like the secret in Nim had, where it's really dark and ominous, but it doesn't have the Don Bluth charm at all. Mm. Yeah, it, I mean it is a little darker. It's more uncomfortable, and everything's kind of dying. But I don't know. Overall, I just thought it was funnier. It, it just thought it was funny, and that's really the worst thing a movie can do if it's not being funny. So. Two out of three nerd flicks say don't watch Rango. <laughs> and the third one hasn't seen it and will probably won't see it based on the recommendation of the two of the first two. So Okay, and um this will be my last um On my birthday I went to see Tree of Life. <clears throat> oh, that's a good birthday present to yourself. It it really is. It it really saved my birthday. I went to see it um I think Landmark Theaters. Have either of you been to one? No. It was uh, in I don't think I have, no. I think it was in Santa Monica. I think that's where I ended up. Um, it was off the 405. So, uh, Anyways. Did you get a ticket? Because I heard they give out tickets like crazy in Santa Monica, even if you're legally parked. <laughs> no, and actually I didn't even have to pay for my parking ticket for whatever reason. I was oh, really? waved on. I was like, great, thanks. That saved me 10 bucks. <laughs> oh, you know what? They recognized you. They're like, it's the guy from Nerdflix. <laughs> Wait a minute. Finally getting perks. <laughs> um, but, okay, this is the weird thing. I bought my ticket like 40 minutes early just because I got there, and I'm so happy I did because when I finally walked in the theater, there was only like 30 seats, and they were couches. Okay, this is the weirdest thing ever. It's like an intimate little space with black leather couches and like little coffee tables in between it, and I was like, holy shit, I got a couch, and there's going to be a stranger sitting next to me on this couch. What? It, funny you should say the, the whole couch thing. Uh-huh. Apparently, the, the the new movie theater we have opening here in two weeks has that same type of intimate setup huh. is it owned by landmark I, i'm not sure oh interesting where is it oh, right on the boulevard okay now it, were the tickets more expensive because you had this kind of different uh, setting it says something people? like super matinee discount price on the ticket okay <laughs> it was like almost condescending like why are you watching this movie now you must be a loser <laughs> <laughs> you're probably alone. okay so normally you probably have to pay a premium for those tickets but because right. you, the time and day you went, then mm-hmm. they weren't okay. And it, it was sold out, and really was a eclectic audience. Um, the guy who sat next to me looked a lot like uh, what's his name, Stanley Tucci or Tucci, Stanley yeah. Tucci. I love him. He's yeah, awesome. I love him too. And it looked a lot like him. And at when, first, do I was, you think it was him or no? N- no, okay. and especially like he kept going into like a book bag throughout the movie and then he went ahead and took off his shoes and put his bare feet next to me (laughs) 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 so the intimate setting did have (laughs) its drawbacks (laughs) oh that would be hilarious if that was stanley tucci yeah with he just doesn't give a fuck (laughs) did they stink no i didn't smell anything now was the couch was it like one of those couches that's big enough for three people and it was just two of you on it or i mean yeah it was like a love seat (laughs) so i mean it was large enough that i didn't get anywhere near him i could so you weren't you guys weren't accidentally touching or anything because that would bother me but yeah yeah it it actually bothered me a lot at first before the movie started and then i got so caught up in it that i didn't care but yeah there's like um guys with like basketball jerseys on i'm not trying to be judgmental but like they looked exactly like they just came out of a game of hoops and they're gonna sit down for a terry malick film it was wow but yeah everybody was really respectful Nobody made a noise. Even, like, the woman in front of me said to her friend, like, uh, who's this friend that recommended this to you or something like that? And it was really surprising because everyone was so respectful through this really long movie. Like, if you weren't enjoying it, wow, 
you'd think they'd uh and over half of us stayed until the end credits were completely done so so you think there were people that didn't like it in there yes but i mean at the same time it if we all sat through the end credits at least half of us thought it was probably amazing i would say and um i really can't even talk about it because it was one of the most personal films i've ever seen it has the scope of 2001 and the intimacy of something that is just i beyond i mean it was more or less my life up there and i've wow it was really the best birthday gift i've ever had (laughs) so that's amazing because christopher nolan has been saying that it's awesome and you know i i anything that comes out of his mouth is gospel to me right and then uh David Fincher, who I don't really like that much, but he loved it too. So. <laughs> I'm liking him more. Like Zodiac, I thought was incredible. you know I, ha- I haven't seen that one. I'm I'm just kind of I liked him after Seven, and then I kind of got mad at him with like Benjamin Button and some other right. crappy movie that he made. Button has its moments, but overall, yeah, I agree. Um, I didn't like the ending of Fight Club too. So I don't like Fight Club. I, is anyone going to fight me for that? I liked Fight Club a lot. <laughs> I, I I liked it, but I didn't like their their twist ending where. And actually, I hated it so much. I'm just going to spoil it for everybody. <laughs> oh, everybody knows it. <laughs> yeah, anybody who hasn't seen it, basically, Edward Norton has two personalities, and Brad Pitt is one of them. So, I thought that was kind of lame. They, I don't know, it, it, they kind of stole it from uh, Raising Kane too with John Lithgow. So I just didn't like that piece of it. It didn't fit with the rest of the movie. I thought. But anyway, we're not talking about Fight Club, because rule number one, <laughs> one is you don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that makes me happy, actually, that like, Nolan's talking about it, giving it high praise. I really think it's one of those uh, well, landmark films, wow. <laughs> like the theater. But um, yeah, it knocks off um, Then Red Line. I'm not sure where it would be on my list, but uh, it's definitely in my top ten. I think it's a masterpiece. Do you know when it's going to get a wider release? Because it's very, I mean, limited right now. Yeah, no, I, I actually have no idea. Um, but the buzz is so good. I mean, it it, it has to get a, a national release sooner or later. I think there's mm-hmm. no question about that. Is there? I would hope so. They're not thinking about not releasing it, are they? I I would hope they would release it. Like, okay. I, um, I have some friends in other states that have been waiting for this. Um, yeah, and they're still waiting. So hopefully, everybody gets it. But yeah. awesome. Well, thank you, Austin. So, Mikey, have you watched anything lately? Well, as I said before, I had to watch a shitty movie, um, and that kind of really set the tone for my whole movie watching the past week, <laughs> for two weeks. Um, Man, I can't wait till we get to that, because you're acting like it ruined your life. <laughs> I lost sleep over this movie. I was actually stayed up late okay. to watch the entire thing. Okay. But moving on, I'm going to get back to what I was watching. <laughs> I'm excited to hear all in one block. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the first movies I caught... Um, was actually shortly after we uh, recorded the last co- po- podcast. Um, I was flipping through the channels and I saw an HD net. Um, they were playing Ombre, which is a 1967 western that focused on racism. Hmm. Um, give you kind of a, a background on what it is. Uh, Paul Newman okay. plays a, 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 a white man who was raised by Indians, Apache Indians. Okay. And um, his father dies, and he inherits a farm and some, or not a, not a farm, but a um, uh, ranch. Not a, it's not a ranch. It's just a um, like an inn. It's a, a boarding house essentially, okay. and a watch. So he goes to collect uh, his things after he's told that his father passed away, and um, he ends up selling the house and keeping the watch. And uh, he takes a stagecoach back to the uh, reservation. 
Um, so he's uh, ch- he's sharing this ride with a bunch of other people. So on the way there, they uh, uh, sharing the stagecoach ride back uh, back west is um, uh, an, an Indian. An Indian reservationist, I think, is was what they referred to him as. Basically, a person that that helped the Indians as they were, you know, being displaced at the time, like a social worker for it, Indians. Exactly. Okay. Um, also, there was a, a gruff bandit type character that was riding with them, uh, as well as the woman who ran the boarding house herself. Okay. Um, a few others. Can I ask a question real quick? Go for it. Um, why was he, if his dad was alive, why was he raised by the Indians? Why didn't he live with his dad? Um, I, I believe it was that he was, uh, he was displaced. They didn't really get into it, but uh, he was displaced by a a stagecoach incident. Oh, okay. So it was like his dad didn't know. He was, didn't, couldn't find him. Couldn't find okay. him. So he was raised by Indians. He was later discovered. Okay. And then he chose to, later in life, he chose to stay with Indians. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, they're on the stagecoach. Eventually, the stagecoach, the gruff guy, ends up turning on them. Wants to rob the stagecoach. Um, a lot of because it's well because they're talking about it's focusing on racism. Because the fact he was raised by Indians, they found out in the stagecoach. So it's like they like bus riding back in the the fifties and sixties. They they kind of made him ride with the driver. They wouldn't allow him in the, with the coach with them. Uh, they looked down on him. They were very. Everyone was demeaning towards him, and he himself was proud about being part of the Indians. So, a real social clash, um, hmm. and that, that's pretty much how it was dealt with. Um, movie wasn't very relevant to me, being now 2011. The movie came out in the 1960s, yeah. 1967. I could see with everything that was going on then: Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, yeah. um, a couple of the the bus rides in the South. Yeah, Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. I met her. Really? Yeah, that has nothing to do with anything. But <laughs> I just wanted to say that. That's interesting. I don't know. Um, but the message that it conveyed would have been very relevant during the time. Hmm. Um, as far as a Western goes, yeah, not a big fan of them, but I watched it anyway. Hmm. And did you like it? Or? It was it was a pretty good movie taken in context of the time. Um, it actually it it sort of holds up now. It's definitely no. Um, no tombstone, that's for sure. So, and that's funny that you mentioned taking in the context of time because that's I've never been a huge fan of like older movies either. There's there's a few that I like, you know, The Citizen Kane and things that are really outstanding. But that's something that uh, in one of, when I first met Austin, then he was we were having a conversation about older movies and and he said that you have to kind of try to watch them in the frame of mind that they would have been in at the time they watched it in. So in your brain, you kind of set the context in your brain and it's not like you can just flip a switch and do that, but I've been doing it more often with some older movies and I've been able to appreciate them a little bit more. So I think that's, it's almost like a skill that, that I, that I'm developing because of you, Austin. So thank you for that. So (laughs) that's awesome. And, And one of the things that kind of made me like it a little more, not that I, I love this movie, but you know, if you were going to rate it on Netflix, I would definitely give it a three star. Um, is I kind of went online and I, I looked to see what the what the uh, the social view of racism was at the time, mm-hmm. and kind of got the feel for that and why this movie was put out near the end of the '60s. So, so you would recommend it to people or not? I would still recommend to watch. Yeah, it's still it's still definitely a, a decent movie. It's nothing you should shy, shy away from. No. Oh, okay. Awesome. 
Anything else? Um, I also got a chance to watch The Expendables. <laughs> that that seems like a movie that's kind of like Red, the last movie that re- we reviewed. Like, similar in tone, kind of tongue-in-cheek, action-y. Hey, was it, or am I completely off here? It, it was tongue-in-cheeky. Okay. But it was also way over-the-top action-y. Hmm. In a good way, or in a ridiculously stupid way? It was ridiculous. Okay. But the the story that they had to build... Well, they, they really only focus on two of the characters... Um, uh, Sylvester Stallone's character, as well as um, Crank's guy character. What's his name? Jason. Jason Samos. Statham. 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 Not not John Stamos. <laughs> not John Stamos or Who's Jason Stamos. I, I met John Stamos. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? Interesting. <laughs> we're we're doing a lot of name dropping here today. Have you met anyone famous, Mikey? No. I did talk to Bruce Campbell online one time. (laughs) Seriously? That's awesome. That's better than meeting Rosa Parks. (laughs) Did you? Never mind. (laughs) Actually, I didn't didn't really talk to her. I said hi, and then she, like, gave me a nod, like, saying hi back. And then her six bodyguards gave me a dirty look, so I ran away. (laughs) It was one of those movies where the previews, once again, don't really lead into what it is. Mm. Um, but for the most part, you can gather it's it, it's just way over the top action flick. Um, they're kind of like, it's 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 like a A team on steroids. Yeah. So. So was it funny? It wasn't too funny, but mm. the action was you know it's done by all the action stars, so the action itself was pretty good. Jet Li was actually pretty. He, his his kung fu was really well done. Was there a lot of like uh, references to their old movies and really the only reference that I that I picked up on was the Arnold reference. Okay. They they poked fun at him saying that he wanted to be president. Oh, okay. But yeah, the the, the go- it was actually pretty gory. Uh the movie opened up with them um saving kidnapped individuals on a ship mm-hmm. and um they uh not is it Lou Ferrigno? I think he's in it. Not Lou Ferrigno. Uh, the guy that used the to play the Hulk. No, not Lou Ferrigno. The guy who played He-Man. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren's in it. Yeah. And he has this shotgun. And essentially the first shot he fires, which is like the first casualty of the movie, mm-hmm. separates the guy from his legs and his torso goes flying across the room. Wow. I mean, it's just over-the-top gory like that. I actually might like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so was it a waste of time or was it good? I, it was still entertaining. I'd give okay. it. It was anywhere between a three and a four, which is what Netflix told me I'd like it as. Um, speaking of shotguns and things you would like, um, <clears throat> I think Hobo with a shotgun's on DVD these days. It it is, and actually, that's one of the movies that I want to see. But um, I I have not seen Grindhouse and Death Proof, mm-hmm. and I believe that Hobo with a shotgun was like a trailer in one of those movies or i heard something about it in those movies so i have to see that first and then i have to watch hobo with a shotgun so i want to make sure that i get my over-the-top violence in order (laughs) (laughs) well if you're in for over-top violence this is your movie yeah but so it was fun it was was, yeah it was a definitely entertaining ride um we were talking about dexter the other day and actually uh, uh the detective the hispanic or the cuban detective that's on there uh, La Guerta? Not the not the chief. Oh, uh, Angel. Angel. Yeah. Angel Martinez. The guy with the lisp. Yes, yeah. he plays the 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 communist leader of the island. They go infiltrate essentially. Oh, okay. So I mean, it, there's a lot of good talent in this movie, mm-hmm. and it it didn't fall flat. It was still entertaining. Okay. Well, good. That's kind of what I 
I mean, I'm actually pleased to hear that it didn't just completely suck. Yeah, and it it was it was a cliche action flick. Yeah, but it was still was you know that going in. Yeah, exactly. You know that going in. And they're making a sequel to it, so it it obviously did okay. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! So they didn't kill off all the expendables. They weren't really expendable, or is there just like a whole other slew of old has-beens that they can? (laughs) You know they. they Are they going to get Steven Seagal and Jean Claude Van Damme for the sequel? Because they were conspicuously absent from the first one. I wouldn't be surprised. They'd fit right Vig in with Rhymes, this group. Perhaps? Or Rames? What's his name? Ving Rames? Yeah. Ben, yeah. And I'm sure Wesley Snipes needs work these days. So. Yep. Jean-Claude Van Damme would fit in there well in this. Yeah. Arnold? He was already in this one. But yeah. was he, he wasn't one of the Expendables, was he? No. Well, he was... Now he now he's back to acting. Yeah. I guess he could. Yeah. But. Well, even Bruce Willis was in this movie. Was he? Oh, he was in the scene with Arnold, wasn't he? Yep. Oh, okay. But was he an expendable? He was not an expendable. Well, it looks like they killed off everybody to bring in this whole new slate of new <laughs> expendables. I, they, there was only, I think there was only two people killed in this whole, like, okay. two main You know, I was just going killed. to say, the actors with their egos, I can't imagine too many of them wanted to be. Yeah. Wasn't Mickey Rourke in this, too? Mickey Rourke was in this movie. Oh, okay. Uh, really, the only one that was, I, th- I believe it was uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin was killed. Um... As well as do, 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 was it Eric Roberts? I think his name. Is, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no big loss there. Yeah, he played the villain anyway. In he died. Case. Yeah, okay. both of them were villains, and they both died. So. <laughs> All right. Was that it for you? And I've been trying to catch up on my Harry Potter. Oh yeah, you still haven't seen that yet. Nope, I th- I'm up to uh, number three, Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, so you're you're rewatching all of them before you have your double feature? All of them on Blu-ray Special Uber Ultimate Edition. You want to have it fresh in your mind when you go? So you better hurry up because I know it's going to leave theaters. <laughs> yeah, soon. you're going to have to watch it in the dollar theater with all the babies crying and, <laughs> and unmentionable shit on the in the seats. Oh yeah, yep. yeah. I wouldn't do that actually. <laughs> <laughs> Plus a big old tear in the screen, probably yeah. in the middle of the screen, and so. everybody's talking. Yeah. Cell phones going off nonstop. Low jobs in the back corner. Really? I'm sure. Wow, everything was negative up until you mentioned that. <laughs> I'm going to go to the dollar theater. <laughs> hey, Ma, watch the kids. I'm going to go spend my dollar and get an HJ. <laughs> All right, so what I have watched, I only had time to watch one movie um, outside of Night of the Hunter, uh, and it was based off of your recommendation and your recommendation, Austin, and it is Shutter Island. And I, w- I waited a long time to watch this movie, and I kind of want to talk about this without spoiling it. Now, a movie that I don't like, like Fight Club, I had no problem just spoiling <laughs> it for everybody who hasn't seen it. But um, because I like this movie and I think people need to experience it, then I, I don't want to spoil it. So you, you understand why we kind of tiptoed around how we were going to discuss it the first time. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we need to tiptoe around it that much. I mean, basically, Leo DiCaprio, he's a marshal. He gets sent to the island to find an escaped uh, prisoner and uh, an escaped mental patient, basically. And uh, so he has to... But then once he gets to the island, it's it's not really what it seems to be, the island. And... And so there's a big conspiracy and things are going on that just don't seem right. And and there's a very kind of a... The way they did the inside of the mental institution was really cool, I thought. The, the way that it was almost like uh, Dante's Inferno or something where he's descending mm-hmm. down into the depths of hell. Or, or kind of a uh, heart of darkness, maybe Apocalypse Now, where right. he's journeying deeper and deeper into this this 
seedy world. So that's a great point because he's also going back through American history because Ward, whatever is the Civil War one. Yeah, it was, so it was it was really a pretty crazy movie. So and the things that uh, Scorsese did with light, uh, the way that they were lit, especially when they were indoors in the institution, mm-hmm. I thought was really creepy. Um, a lot of parts of this thing looked like kind of like Silent Hill, the video game too, yeah. um, which just added a creepy feel to it and. Sadly, you know, back in the 50s, this is what, from what I've read, you know, this is what inst- mental hospitals looked like. They right. were not the the best, uh, you know, most sanitary places. And, you know, they looked about as crazy as the people that were housed there. So uh, very creepy, very awesome, you know, atmosphere. And the score was awesome. So, I mean, really set up the dramatic tension. Um, I think... And you know what? This might be my favorite, my new favorite Scorsese movie. Wow, so great. I, I do love this movie. I want people to enjoy it. I don't like it as much as Inception, so I know you said you were questioning uh, whether or not it was uh, the better movie. Um, but I, I say that Inception was still better. But this movie's good. And I do have to say, um, the fact that I knew that there was a twist ending kind of made me look for the twist so I did figure it out before it actually happened. Um, so sorry, people. We just kind of did spoil at least the fact that there's a twist ending, but I'm sure most of you knew that already. Um, but there's degrees to it. Like I had a hunch too, but I didn't. Yeah, and it, and I think you're supposed to because some of the clues are pretty obvious. Right. And so I think you're supposed to believe one thing, and then he kind of pulls you back and makes you believe the other thing, and then he makes you believe something completely different. And so... Mm-hmm. But the twist ending was not really the 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 biggest important part of the ending to me because I had already figured out the twist. But the reasons why the twist existed, the reason why it happened, what the reason why things were the way they were, that's what really got to me. That was that was pretty intense at the yeah. ending there. So it's um, incredible. Yeah, definitely it, worth a, a watch. Now, can we do a super spoiler here? For Shutter Island, yeah, I would ra- I would rather not because okay. then you're going to ruin it for people. But All is there right. a way you can say what you were going to say without? There is, without spoiling it. Not a way for me to say that. Oh, okay. Okay, our Shutter Island discussion has kind of come to a close. Uh, Mikey did want to talk about some spoilers, which led us all to talk about spoilers. So uh, <laughs> we edited that part out, and we've added it to the end of the show. So if, you want to, if you've already seen Shutter Island, you can stick around until after the music stops, and we'll, we'll discuss the spoilers there, okay? Um, so, but next up we have our top ten movie discussion. And we are down to number seven on our top ten list. This is, let me just explain real quick. We're doing this just so our audience can kind of get to know us. We have three very different uh, styles of movies, tastes in movies that we like. So um, I thought it would be nice if we would all uh, share our top ten favorite movies. We're sharing one movie per week uh, for each one of us. So you can see which one of us has the taste closest to what your taste is and maybe... uh, our word will hold more clout than the other two. <laughs> so with that being said, Austin, you want to go first. What is your number seven favorite movie of all time? Sure. Um, my number seven, man, I'm tired of stalling every time, but it's just so hard because I feel like I've got like eight different top ten lists, and am I really sure I, this is the one? Yes, okay. So it's going to be hot, High and Low by Akira Kurosawa. Um it was 1965, I believe, 
And Kurosawa is usually known for his samurai films, but this one's actually um, a police procedural film. Mm-hmm. Um, it was contemporary when it was filmed. And um, the real title is called Heaven and Hell instead of High um, and Low. Um, Why did they translate it like that? I'm not sure. Um, I, I guess maybe the Americans saw the uh, film more about class, but at the same time, they make plenty of references to what is heaven and what is hell. I mean, mm. I don't think it's, it's... It's basically restructuring our concepts of heaven and hell in a capitalistic society. So, um, it stars Toshiro Mifune, who was the um, the good guy in uh, Sword of Doom. Yeah. Okay. Shimada. Was it Shimada? Shimada was the, the fencing instructor, yeah. Okay, Shimada's the one that I remember because I, I screwed it up. <laughs> I was thinking Shimada was the Nakadai character. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Tatsuya Nakadai is actually in this too as a police detective. But anyways, um, man, I really hate even talking about this because it's it just sets up so beautifully and it instantly becomes so thrilling. Um, anyways, Mifune is a uh, executive at a woman's shoe company. And um, he's at his house, which is on a hill. It's like um, a very modern-style home, uh, air conditioning. He sometimes opens the window or the sliding door, and then the city sound starts coming in, and he'll close it. And it's like this Mm. isolated cocoon, right? Yeah. So anyways, he has his executives there. There's an old guy that runs or that's in charge of the company now. He was obviously part of, like, they, they call his shoes army boots. I think that's a reference to the militarism of old Japan. And uh, they want to make these new shoes that are really cheap and, like, there's no support, there's no soles or whatever. Mifune thinks um, the way they're doing it is wrong, but he's got a new plan. And so the, they butt heads. So they leave, and then Mifune reveals his plan to his associate and his wife that he's been secretly buying up shares of the company, and he's just finishing a deal. Um, he's mortgaged everything that he owns. All of his life work is on this deal, and he'll have 47% of the shares, so he'll gain control of the company. Okay. While this is happening, his kid is playing with uh, the chauffeur's kid, uh, like a Cowboys and Indians game, and they switch outfits and they go out. Um, he gets a phone call, and he says, I kidnapped your son, mm-hmm. and I want 30 million yen. The deal's for 50 million, which is an exorbitant sum of money. So uh, at first, Mifune is like, sure, you know, whatever, I'll pay whatever. Um, don't harm my kid because he says he'll kill him. Well, anyways, then his kid walks in later, and everybody's happy. But then they're like, oh, where's the chauffeur's kid? So the chauffeur's kid's the one that gets kidnapped. Uh-huh. So, but then the kidnapper says, don't get happy yet. You're still on the line. I don't think you're going to let this kid die. Hmm. So then Mifune is kind of changing, and he's saying, I'm not going to pay. Oh. So the the first hour doesn't even leave the house, and it's just like a stage. It's just like pure theater, and Mifun or uh, Kurosawa's blocking is unbelievable. This is one of the most gorgeously filmed, and it has like the most perfect mise en scene that I've ever seen in a film. It's just stunning, and it actually makes you disappointed when I don't want to ruin anything. But the first time you watch this, it's just sheer tension. Um, the climax is thrilling and um, the very last scene is one of the most effective scenes I've ever seen in a film. It just stops you cold. Like It's kind of like watching The Prestige. You can't yeah. move. Oh, after. really? Yeah. Okay. It's, that, that's all I needed to hear. I've got to watch it now. <laughs> it's just it's so brilliant. And the great thing is 
um, Kurosawa is so controlled through this film that this ending instantly sheds so many more dimensions across the rest of the film that you, you can see we're there, but he was being really restrained. Yeah. And like we were talking about with older films, it's it's such a perfect examination of what Japan contemporary culture was, and especially if you want to think about the occupation of Japan, how we put our form of government on them, and um, you start off high, and then throughout the movie, you just keep descending into hell until at the end, you're in like Dante's Inferno, as you were saying. It's, wow. it's very hard not to see this as a literal hell, and it's all based on class structure. You're going to start off uh, upper class, middle class, and then this absolute devastation. And I can see the first division between the classes would be that he was going to pay the ransom for his own son, but then he won't pay the ransom for the chauffeur's son. So, And that's that's actually an interesting thing. is The the police, they talk to Mafune. They barely talk to the father. The yeah. father's just like crying. It's almost like he has nothing to do with anything. And yeah. So you, you almost start getting at the first. But I think the police officers are that middle class that bridged the high and low. So um, really it's just it's a rare film that's absolutely perfect. And it's it's thrilling. Just like as you're watching it, you're just really caught in it, up into it. And then if it's like your fifth time or sixth time, I've probably seen it eight times. Um, it can still be thrilling, but just watching it, just absorbing it, it's just... Awesome. Well, I definitely want to check that out now. High and Low, mm-hmm. uh, by directed by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, Mikey, do you have a number seven favorite movie of all time for us? I do. And uh, let's see, let's just to recap here. Number 10 was uh, Galaxy Quest. Yep. Number 9, Hunt for Octo- Red October. Number 8 was Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And now my number 7 is going to be the 1998 version of Le Miserable. Oh, with Liam. Liam Neeson. Ah, you are the hugest Liam Neeson fan ever. <laughs> are you? Because I, I kind of am too. <laughs> I, I got, yeah, I dig the guy. Yeah. I mean, got. Uh, were you, you know, were you upset in Batman Begins when he turned out to be the villain? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, oh not not. Oh, I was about ready to give you a high five because okay. <laughs> I I love Liam Neeson so much that when he turned bad, oh, you were like he has to I be actually, the good guy in yeah. everything. I actually hated Batman Beginning or wow. Bat, begin, What is it called? Batman Begins. Batman Begins. <laughs> For a while, just because I was so betrayed by Liam Neeson. Really? But well, see, I, I hated it, but it wasn't because it was betrayed by Liam Neeson. I like it now. <laughs> anyway, tell us about uh, Les Miserables. Okay, let me give you a brief summary of what it is. Uh, Liam Neeson plays a Frenchman named Jean Valjean, and he uh, he gets imprisoned, uh, he gets out, He on his uh, as he's trying to get away from uh, imprisonment, he sneaks into a house. He ends up trying to steal the silver. Uh, the person who owns the house wakes up, sees that you catches him in the act. Um, the police come to the house. the The owner of the the proprietor of the re- residence ends up giving him the silver and and sending him on his way and tells him to you know this is your one chance. Make sure you 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 basically pay it forward. Yeah. Um, and so Jeffrey Rush plays the the French officer who ends up pursuing. Uh, Liam Neeson for most of his life. Um, trying, well, you know what? That reminds me. You lied to me, by the way. About what? Because when you were talking about when we were talking about the King's Speech, Jeffrey I Rush asked I you if you only knew Jeffrey Rush from the pirate movies. Good and, memory. And you said yes, but um, you I, you actually this is your number seven favorite movie. <laughs> so obviously you know him from other movies. I just never put him in. It's all about Liam Neeson, okay? <laughs> it's okay. I just wanted to point out that you lied. That's all. That's my goal. 
You, you may carry Jeez. on. I was going to give you cred for the whole Liam Neeson thing. I mean, you renamed Taken. I what? You renamed Taken. It is no oh, longer that's Taken. Right. It's... Yes. Yeah. It was. Uh, what did I call that movie? Oh, that's right. I <laughs> right after I saw Taken. I said they should call this movie "Not Fucking Around." <laughs> Liam Neeson's not fucking because around. Here, all, here's the DVD. Go yeah, watch it. All it is is Liam Neeson not fucking around because <laughs> he's seriously not fucking around. <laughs> he's like, "Give me my daughter back." I'm not fucking around. <laughs> so, so is that a good thing or does he just say, "I'm not fucking around"? Too no, much? He, no, no, he, he just he just does it. He's no, like, he's not saying it. He's just not fucking around. Yeah. So he, I should really see this movie. Oh, Taken. Taken? Oh, yeah. Taken's awesome. He he doesn't waste. Like, any time in that movie. Like, as soon as his daughter's gone, it's like, bam, bam, bam. He's all over them. Like, every second of the... They, they cannot... It's like they have no hope. He's, he kicks really... He kicks a lot of ass in that movie. And he doesn't fuck around. No. <laughs> I really have to see this now. Yeah. Yeah, you should see Taken. Highly recommend it. Anyway, we were talking about Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean. And actually, this is the first movie that is on your top ten list that I didn't bust out laughing when I first heard it. <laughs> like, that's on your top ten list. That pile of crap you like? What's wrong with this guy? <laughs> so, so. I like this movie, too. I, I actually like this movie also. Not that I didn't like the other movies on your list. Like, I did like Galaxy Quest. I just wouldn't have... You would I, not have put that on your top ten, though. I would never put it on my top ten, and I thought it was funny that it was on yours. But the other ones, I think, uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, I didn't like. And then, what was the other one? Uh, Hunt for Red October. Hunt for Red October, yeah. That... I can't comment on it. I haven't seen it in a while. Anyway, go on. Uh, Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean. Les Miserables, that's what it is. Yeah, Les Miserables. Essentially, it's just the ultimate story of paying it forward. Yeah. And second chances and... Making things right. Redemption, um, which is... Yeah. I love those movies about redemption, too. That's one of the things I like about Pulp Fiction. And they did a real good job setting up as a period piece. Yes. The, the the set design is awesome. The feel of the movie, the tone of the movie, everything is. The acting is really awesome too. Amazing. Jeffrey Rush is it. Jeffrey Rush. I mean, yeah, he's he's. I don't think I've ever seen him really bad in anything. And Liam Neeson, of course, never is either. No, he, Liam Neeson was even good in Dark Man, like when he was first starting out his career. <laughs> like, wow, yeah. this guy's good. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that, Mikey. Uh, so my number seven favorite movie of all time. Uh, let's see if I if I can even recap. I think number ten was Synecdoche, New York. Um, I don't remember what number nine. Is. It's in your back pocket. Just reach back and get it. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> uh, number uh, eight was Kill Bill. Number nine was um, Jesus. I should know this. Yeah, I don't remember. It's my own ninth favorite. Oh, Shawshank. It was Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. That's right. Yeah, so, and I already acknowledged in a previous episode that I already messed up my list because there's no way I like Shawshank more than Synecdoche, New York. And uh, actually, Synecdoche, I like better than Kill Bill, too. So my whole <laughs> list, again, it's it's foobard. Um, but my number seven movie, as it was when I first wrote the list, uh, is Memento by Christopher Nolan. I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fanboy. Um so you'll see this is the beginning of a lot of Christopher Nolan movies on my top 10 <laughs> list. But this was the movie that really made me start liking him. Um, it's such an interesting movie and it's so different. I love things that are different, uh, that are like a movie that does things that I've never seen before. And this movie basically tells the entire tale backwards. It starts with the last scene in the movie it moves forward till the first scene of the movie. You would think that that wouldn't work because the climax needs to come near the end of the movie. 
and it still does, even though you're, you're listening or you're watching the story backwards. So it's just um, the ingenuity that it took to write it and structure it um, was just amazing, and the story sucks you in. Guy Pierce is awesome as the main character, um, and it came out right at the perfect time too. Because if this movie had come out any later, then uh, the digital camera era would have taken over, and Polaroid cameras play a very important part in this movie. So it, it wouldn't have been uh, it, as relevant if he had waited to make it later. And then uh, uh, Joe Pantoliano, I think is how you say it. Joey Pants, he goes by from the Matrix movies. Um, he's in it also, and, and he has an amazing performance. Carrie Ann Moss, also from the Matrix, is in this movie. So um, good performances all around, but the story is just so incredibly unique, and and it'll just blow your mind the way that you watch this thing. You don't know what's going on in the beginning, and then you start to get the idea that, okay, I'm every time the scene changes, I'm going to the day previous, then the day prior to that, then the day prior to that until I finally know what's going on. And you're in the head of the main character because he has this disorder where he can't form new memories. So he doesn't know what's going on either. He doesn't remember yesterday. And just like the viewer doesn't know what happened yesterday, he doesn't know. So it really puts you in his head in a unique way. So have you guys seen this movie? Oh, yeah. I have. And you forgot to mention uh, Sandy Jenkins played by Ned Ryerson. Who's that? Ned. Ryerson. Needlenose Ned, Ned the Head. Come on, buddy. Chase Western High. (laughs) What are you you talking about? Groundhog's Day. You know, the the insurance salesman that always keeps bugging Bill Murray. You know, I only saw that movie once. Holy shit. Here it comes. Here it comes. People people love that movie. No, no, no. I don't don't hate it. I I thought it was good, but I just just didn't watch it enough to uh, quote it or, I guess, understand the quotes or recognize the quotes from it. It's a really good movie. <laughs> and so is Memento. Do you guys agree, disagree? Do you, did you not like it as much as I did? I've seen Groundhog Day more times. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's anything I've seen more in Groundhog's Day, i got to be honest. Really? But I'm I, sorry. I, I, not, not I hope that's not Memento. your number one on either one of your lists. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if it was your number one, Mikey. Hey, but. don't drive angry, okay? Okay. <laughs> I would be surprised if it's Austin's number one. No, it's not. But honestly, I did consider putting it on the list. Really? If I wanted to be fair about the movies that I've seen the most, yeah, it would probably have to be on there. But, but it's not the top ten movies you've watched the most. It's no, I'm, top- like honestly, I'm struggling. This is why I hiccup every time, and I, maybe we should just talk about this top ten list. Is it the ten most perfect movies you've seen? Is it the ten movies that you've seen that are really great and you relate to, or are they the ten most your favorite movies that you know kind of suck ass, but you watch them so much so that they've become... Yeah, I, I kind of think of it as if you were put on a uh, desert island and you had a DVD player and a, and a TV and you could only take ten movies with you and you were going to live on this island the rest of your life. Groundhog Day would be in that... See, that's what I'm saying. It probably would be. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So you have to revise your list? No. Well, my list is messed up, too, because Synecdoche shouldn't have been number 10. So I have, I have Galaxy Quest. I know I could watch that a thousand more times. <laughs> That's kind of how I made the list. Is like, it's kind of a combination between left and right side of my brain. Well, you know what? I guess it shouldn't be. Maybe, all right, forget the Desert Island thing. Just say, <laughs> what are your, your personal 10 favorite movies you you've got to have you've got to like some of them a little bit more than others right even if you might watch one more often like maybe 
maybe you're depressed all the time and you need to laugh, so you pop in Groundhog Day. See, that that's the idea, though, because then that doesn't represent... Okay, like, there are certain movies I've only seen once that are some of the best films that I've ever seen. Hmm. I don't really want to watch them ever again. Like, say, Antichrist. That's not one of my favorite films, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. that kind of experience. Yeah. You don't want to put yourself through it, like, every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... So, I don't know. I guess everybody would have their own criteria, then, mm-hmm. as to how they arrive at what is their, quote, favorite movie. So, I guess it's okay if you have a different criteria than me. That's... But, uh, me- Memento, we'll talk about Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, I watched it for the second time when I had my Nolanathon. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, I really liked it. And, actually, this looks great in HD. I think it's on Instant Streaming right now. Oh, is it? Good. Mm-hmm. Everybody go out. If you haven't seen this movie, go out and stream it tonight because it's awesome. Yep, totally. So, cool. Yep, that was one of the movies. Actually, both Groundhog Day and Memento were on my list to make it to top ten. Oh, wow. really? They and, both got cut. And they both got cut. And, and For Galaxy Quest. <laughs> <laughs> Galaxy Quest was funny. Okay. I, I don't want to give you too much. I do have to that. say, though, when I went back and listened to our last episode, you don't really sound convinced about Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Oh, no, that is an awesome movie. Did you get that? Like, he was happy about Galaxy Quest. He was really happy about The Hunt for Red October. Yeah. And it, then, was it because I was giving you shit about it and I hated it and I kind of browbeat you into not speaking up in defense of it? No, it's just, it's just been, it. it's been an awful long time since I've seen... Uh, hump, or once upon a time in Mexico. Oh, okay. Um, I was trying to remember what were the high points in the movie. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Well, before we move on to our shitty movie assignment, I did realize that I neglected to give out the email address earlier in the podcast, so I want to do that real quick. You can email us at nerdflixpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, we're interested in hearing your feedback. And actually, I have a surprise for you guys because we have our first two emails that I printed up and I brought with us. Wait, people actually listen to us? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, because we have emails. Holy crap. So, uh, email number one I would like to read on the air is, um, here we, this one comes from Watergate Migrate. And he says, satisfy your lady like never before with your brand new member. <laughs> <laughs> And our uh, and there's a link for you to click there, of course, too, uh, which is C via Grow. <laughs> and then our uh, second email comes from uh, Megalomania Autonomous, <laughs> and it says, "Rare footage of, Rosa- of Rosario Dawson and Mike Myers getting hot with each other." <laughs> and there's a link for you to click that is. <laughs> I don't, I don't even want to say it because then I'm, I'm giving them free advertising. They're going to send me more spam. But it's cocklongs.com. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had actually hoped that we would have people that were actually emailing us. Um, but you know what? I work with what I have. So if you're out there and uh, you want to let us know what you think of the show, please email us at nerdflixpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will tell you what movie we're going to watch two weeks before we watch it and talk about it. So uh, if you have thoughts on that movie, then email that to us and we'll talk about it in our next episode, okay? So next up we have our shitty movie assignment. So just a reminder, last week or uh, last episode, I had assigned Mikey a movie called... It's a documentary called Zoo, which was basically the... They told the story, the true story... Of Mr. Hands, who is a guy, who is a guy. Austin's already laughing. Who's a guy that basically uh, had sex with a horse, and, <laughs> and, and then he died. 
And so I hope they put that on his tombstone. <laughs> Fuck the horse, died. <laughs> so anyway, Mikey, uh, what did you think of Zoo? Well, I've been thinking about how to, how to, how to address this shitty movie assignment. And I, think I'm gonna, I think I'm first going to talk about the movie itself, how it was produced. Now, this is, a, like you said, documentary of Mr. Hands. Yes. Um, what the director did is he, he took a bunch of the audio... Uh, the audio confessions about what happened during this incident and he made a documentary to those audio excerpts Mm -hmm. it was chopped up and done in such a poor way yes it halfway through the movie then you realize what you're watching yes um he introduces all the characters at the very beginning and they give very vague references of what they're going to be talking about um they believe they they talk about you know there's a an animal control person there's mr h uh there's happy happy horse or whatever his name is yeah. coyote yeah and uh they never really well of course because he died there's an audio confession and there's mr hands um one of the things they do uh, as far as a documentary they they hold back his actual real name but they do give where he worked at the time because this was this was based in this was an area that it was ba- it was a film there. This incident happened in Seattle, yeah. uh, or in some you know I believe it is near Seattle, near, near Seattle, Seattle. a suburb of Seattle. Um, and let's see what else can I say. Because it was so chopped up and there was no direction as far as the audio you were listening to, having someone monologuing or or kind of covering what he was showing you. Like maybe throwing Morgan Friedman, Friedman in there, going, mm-hmm. "Oh, and the horse was raping his ass," or something like this. Something in there. there. It was hard. If you didn't know the story of Mr. Hands, would you have known what this movie is I about? I had no idea. You would be like an hour into it before you realize this movie is about a guy that had sex with a horse. Forty-three minutes to be exact. <laughs> really? I remember looking at my DVD player, going, "Wow, yeah, it's that." They don't far explain into the movie. what's going on. You're like so confused. So yeah, an hour and sixteen minutes, five of which are credits. Yeah, forty minutes is about the mark when it actually gets to something. I dare I say interesting, but something other than backstory. And then they just throw in a random interview with the guy, the guy sitting on the stool. Do you remember that? Yeah, he was like an extra. He in was this documentary. He was a per. He was cop one. Yeah, in this reshot documentary so you're basically taking an extra out of your own film which is a documentary by the way which shouldn't have extras because you're supposed yeah. to document not <laughs> ship with any of the people involved he's he wasn't just a, in, it had nothing to do with the incident at large he's just a guy that heard about it and he just wants to give his impression about what he heard and let's interview him for 10 minutes or however long it is it's like who cares about his opinion <laughs> why would you put that in your movie it's ridiculous it's the worst documentary ever and I don't want to give people the impression that we hate it because it's about horse fucking. No. Like, it's a bad documentary. It could be about the most interesting subject in the world, and I would still hate it. It's just very poorly, poorly done. And I feel like a movie about horse fucking, you should be, you should feel something. You should be fascinated, yet disgusted at the same time. At least disgusted, some some sort of emotion. But but not bored and confused. Like, bored and confused is the last thing you would think you would get out of a movie about horse fucking. Like, there's a shot where it's just out of the back of a... a of a hearse or something like that or a transport vehicle and it just kind of does a donut in a field and you're just looking out the back of it and you're going why am I watching this yeah absolutely now I I did 
think I, that I saw a little disgust on your face before we started talking about Zoo. So did you really just feel bored, or was there anything that was really unpleasant about this documentary? We're getting there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now that we've talked about the flaws of the, the core movie itself, let's talk about Mr. Hands. Yes. So Mr. Hands was, what do they, what do they call him, a... Uh, zoo file or zoophile? Zoophile is that what uh, they call him? Basically, a person who loves loves an animal outside of his own species, like yeah. not plutonically loves, not loves as a as as a kindred spirit, but is infatuated to the point where they connect on an emotional level with another animal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So he <laughs> met up with this group of other zoophiles god bless the internet for allowing these people to find each other they 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 hooked up done well at the farm now um i remember reading about this actually in film comment of all things when it came out it was like bouncing around festivals and they were saying that these men were all affluent members of society is that true yeah yeah he was um they well no not all of them the one of them was the ranch hand yeah he obviously didn't have money but they they weren't a drag on society. One of them was a truck driver, and I think Mr. Hands might have been he, the one who had more money than most yeah, of them, because he, he had a good job. He worked at Boeing, apparently. Hmm. Yeah, but I didn't get the impression that they were rich guys. Okay. No, yeah. but they. Just, but then again, they, they had their own places, apparently. They were yeah. they were getting through life. Um, so the, the movie talks about how they, they, they congregate together, they meet together, they have kind of like these these key parties with with animals and they they comment about you know it's not all the time that you're gonna get lucky you know it it, it kind of has to be a, a magical moment however yeah. they 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 approach it not to get too graphic but just so people understand the horses are penetrating them they they are not penetrating the horses so the horse that's why they said sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because the horse has to be like a willing participant yeah in and, order to do this and uh they kind of loosely go into why they consider it not animal cruelty because of that. Um, But they do go into the mechanics of how they train the horses to do this, which is, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So anyway, they, as they, (laughs) you look really disgusted, Austin. Let's let's get through this. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. I could just pull it up on, uh, oh yeah. It's such a good documentary. All six parts are on YouTube. If you care to watch it. Hmm. Oh, so you didn't even need to even, get the the disc from Netflix. Didn't even have to hmm. sacrifice my DVD player to this movie. Um, okay, so let's just get cut get dirty with this. Okay, there is one scene in the movie that is burned into the back of my eyes. Really? Remember when he's showing the ranch hands boss and his wife watching the video, the video. Okay. of what Mister Hands did? Yeah, I thought you couldn't really see the screen that well of what was going on. There's like a half a second, like three frames okay. where you see him getting railed by that horse oh see maybe i didn't notice again low def tv for low me. def tv yeah i was watching I, I even watched it on the smaller screen tv i have so i didn't okay. get the full effect of this but all day today i watched it yesterday and all day today every time i blink i see this guy <laughs> leaning up against a fence and a horse behind him just having his way that's that's pretty bad yeah and we should say also that uh, have you seen the the video online? No, I purposely no, not oh. looking. Mm-mm. Okay, 
because I have seen it just out of morbid curiosity and the see now that you say that now I want to know if it's the same footage they use in the movie yeah it, it is? is yeah yeah it's the real Mr. Hands video but the horse's penis is like two and a half feet long so why on earth would you let him penetrate you like like of course it's going to kill you like duh it's going to be Was he, <laughs> how did it not kill the rest of them if they've done this before so did the horse not go all the way in or something i don't know it was but yeah it's disgusting you don't want to watch it i wish i didn't watch it but i get some relief in fact that you've now seen a part of it and that now you're sick in the head like i am because <laughs> you saw this there are times where i can't close my eyes yeah so terrible movie terrible hey mikey movie. would you recommend this movie Austin, you should totally watch this movie. I, I don't think you can spend another day of your life without seeing Mr. Hands. Okay. Can you say anything positive about it? I hope not. Oh, there was one part that I found kind of funny. Okay. When the uh, the veterinarian was talking about when she was going back to the farm to go uh, uh, take this ant- take the horse that eventually mm-hmm. killed Mr. Hands away from mm-hmm. the ranch hand, um, there was a funny, at least I found this kind of funny, uh, the way she, she described this scenario, she says, you know, we were taking the horse away, and it was about that this time, one, a miniature filly came came trotting down the, the road and came up to the to the stallion that we were taking away and started giving it a blowjob. I just, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to think. It was weird, too. <laughs> the way she explained it was just so silly. Yeah, everything, they, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know it, what to think. <laughs> yeah, it didn't belong in the movie. It, it was just oh, obviously weird. blowjobs weird. Yeah, uh, that, that reminds weird. me of in Rushmore when um, the kid who plays Dennis the Menace writes Max the note about um, them giving each other hand jobs. Do you, does anyone remember this? It's because no, he doesn't understand that women don't have a penis. <laughs> 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 you know what? I don't remember that at all. But I saw that movie a long time ago. That's hilarious. <laughs> I could think of something positive, but it's almost a positive and a negative. Some of the shots that he set up and he used his special lighting and his filters and he got, you know, the shots in the moonlight, some of those looked good. So you could almost say the cinematography was good in parts of this documentary, but it's also a negative because you're not supposed to have set cinematography shots <laughs> in a documentary. So he he did something good, but it was completely out of place. So it's like, okay, you idiot, you just made the worst movie ever and you know you disgusted people you you picked a topic that's disgusting and then you made the worst movie in the world about it and and you didn't even do that right didn't even make a documentary right so it was just yeah for me there was no redeeming factors about it all it was the topic the way they produced the the way it was produced as far as a, a documentary and no just the lower depths of humanity yes you know what i did think was funny okay there is the ranch hand that basically hosts these parties, okay? There's rich people that have these, they own these horses, and they have a ranch hand that takes care of the horses. The rich people go to their summer home or whatever, and they leave the ranch hand in charge. And so he invites all his buddies over, and they stay the night, and they drink, and, and then they have sex with horses. Um, but the, when the, the couple, the rich couple comes back, and they fire him when they find out what he's been doing, then he's like, yeah, I've worked for these people for so many years, and you know, you you think they're your friends, and then next thing you know, they just throw you out on the street. And I'm like, excuse me, but you, they hired you to take care of their horses, and then they find you fucking their horses. So, and then you're mad that they, you, like, you're surprised that they fired you. That's ridiculous. I mean, if I 
hire you to take care of something, you can't fuck the thing that I hired you to take care of. If I hire you to watch my children, you can't fuck my children, okay? I will fire you. If you if I hire you to fix my car and I find you fucking my car somehow, then you can't. You know, if you're going to take care of my lawn and I find you like fucking my lawn somehow, I'll fire you. Why are you surprised at that? He he felt so betrayed and so shocked. That they threw him out on the street. And I'm like, dude, this guy is even further removed from logical thought than I would have imagined a horse fucker, a horse fucker would have horse been. Horse fucker? Horse fucker, yeah. So they're just, I mean, they're, they're insane. They, it almost tries to sympathize. The movie tries to sympathize with some of them. And they even refer to it as zoo. Like, I've been zoo for, you know, five years. Like, almost saying like, almost like saying gay like i knew i was gay when i was 15 years old that's how they're talking about it but no it's not the same as being gay being zoo they're, they're trying to it's make like, it seem like it's a normal thing but it's not you're it's, it's like i know i've been zoo since i, I was 14 and I let the dog lip, lick whipped cream off my penis yeah exactly so no you it doesn't it's, work it's not the it's same, not the same it's thing. not the same as being gay you can i don't <laughs> i hate this movie <laughs> Well, I can't even talk about Have it anymore. We talked about this movie longer than we talked about all of our favorite movies combined. Well, I think this might be the movie that I hate more than any movie that I've ever seen in my it's life. It's worse than Four Rooms? It's yes. Worse than four it's rooms. worse than Four Rooms. And there's a lot of movies that I hate. I'm just joking. Yeah, it's, I'm I, nauseous right now. So. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting on every level. Even if you remove the bestiality elements, it's just a stupid movie that's a waste of time. And the guy should never work again. The it's guy, a poor documentary, if yes. you want to even call it that. Yes. And yes. and as a result of this Mr. Hands incident, there was legislation in Washington to change it to where oh, it is right. a it, felony. It technically wasn't against the law there. It was not against the law Which is why they did it in Washington. Yes. And now it's against the law. So, yay for democracy. <laughs> All right. So, we have our... Uh, yeah. Now, now we have to get that discussion out of our head. Can we just so, take a break? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, what, what let's, oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, and when we come back, I, I would like to, to divvy out my next week's, uh, or my next uh, shitty movie to who my next victim is. Oh, that's right. I, I almost forgot. Actually, you want, why don't you do that? Yeah, you want to do that now? Okay. Let's cleanse, cleanse our palate after the shitty movie. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was thinking is, since John was so gracious to give me this movie... I would then return the favor to Austin since he has not <laughs> witnessed but I, anything I, I like this watched, ever again. I already watched Four Rooms. So. <laughs> so what I was thinking, I was like, what kind of movie could I give him? I know, I know, you're not a big horror movie fan, so mm-hmm. I, I want. It goes beyond not being a horror movie fan for him. Like I, Austin gets mentally disturbed by watching horror movies. So I'm trying to think of one that would be more like it's. It's definitely not a horror movie. It's definitely it. It's a student film, is what I'm going to have you watch, or ask you to watch. Um, it's about... Uh, how, let me see, how can I put this? It's about a, a, a mountaineer, a mountain guide named Alfred Packer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what movie you're <laughs> recommending. <laughs> and they're trying to get from Utah to Colorado. <laughs> But there's some questionable occurrences that happen during their expedition from point A to point B. Um, some question of cannibalism. And a lot of music that goes on during this it's also. A true story. This it is a true, is a true story. story. It is. Um, like I said, it is a, a, a student film. Unfortunately, it's Trey Parker's student film. 
Have, do you know what movie I'm speaking of? Oh, it's Cannibal the Musical. Hmm. It's a good movie for Austin. <laughs> I know. Wait, wait, wait. How's it? You just described me as somebody who's psychologically scarred by horror movies, and this yeah. movie's about like happily ripping people apart and eating them. No, that, 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 there's really yeah. bare minimum anything to do with cannibalism. No, you're you're not going to be emotionally scarred by this movie. You're yeah. you're just going to be angry that. that well, actually, I don't know what you're going to be. But, but so this is mercy, is what we're saying. Yes, Cannibal the musical, Although, sweet sweet mercy. There's so much bad exposition about going to Colorado, you're going to want to shut the movie off at about 15-20 minutes in. How long is this student film? Is it feature length? It's feature length. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know if it, even know if it makes 90 minutes, but it, I, it, it might. Anyway, it's it, it's probably close to it if it's not. I can, know you're going to... How gonna, can I get this film? It's on Netflix. I believe I think... I, I may have it still. Oh. I believe, yeah. It probably yeah. is instant cue. This is a good shitty movie assignment. It is a good shitty movie, because I know you are going to hate this movie. It's not going to make you quit the show, but it is going to serve the purpose of the shitty movie exercise, which is you're supposed to hate it, well, which I, I mean, think you will. Which I will. can't get special treatment. Just I'm not going to watch The Human Centipede, and <laughs> I think that's pretty much fine. So what this is going to do, this is going to make you hate me. And then you're going to hate John. Should I watch this somewhere that I hate? Like, should I go out in the desert and watch this on a portable DVD player so I don't <laughs> contaminate things that I like? I don't, like, look up at something that has a fond memory, and now I'm like, oh, shit. Now I'm going to think about Cannibal the Musical. <laughs> that might not be a bad idea. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and have our... We're going to cleanse our palate <laughs> and get Zoo out of our heads. And uh, we're going to come back and talk about... Uh, Night of the Hunter. So we're back from our break and ready to jump into our featured movie discussion about the 1955 classic Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton. So, uh, Austin, why don't you go first and give us your impressions of the movie? Sure. Um, Charles Lawton, um, do either of you know him as an actor? No. no. Okay. He was um, pretty famous for his Quasimoto, and um, he was uh, Captain Blythe in uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. He's in a Wilder film that's really good. Anyways, he's kind of a uh, plump, lovable, uh, kind of like a Churchillian character. He's British, okay? So really, when, when, when you think about him as a personality, this film isn't exactly what comes to mind. Apparently, he was a uh, closet homosexual, and um, he was really dealing with a lot of repression and kind of hatred of Americans' uh, moral and sexual codes. He is British, um, so okay. I think that might give him a unique perspective. Anyways, um, just my little uh, foreground on it that I know of, at least. Um, yeah, I think this film is one of a kind. It is such a bizarre, it's a crazy bizarre film. Um, the preacher actually 
Wait, you, you look like you want to yeah. say something, Mike. No, 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 I was with, I was letting you guys go. Oh. No, you, you distracted me. Like, honestly, <laughs> I was like, crazy, <laughs> bizarre film. <laughs> That's Mikey staring we at me. We can tell by the look on his face that Mikey didn't enjoy this movie. Uh, okay. Um, John, why, why don't you tell me about your... Um, so, I, I liked the movie a lot, first of all. Um, it was very interesting, and, you know, to see the... Uh, the origin of the the writing on the knuckles, the tattoos, because right. the there's a, a killer in this movie, and he's got love uh, tattooed on one hand across four fingers, and hate tattooed on the other hand, and uh, so and you know post, mo- modern audience will know that from uh, Cape Fear, but this is obviously where he drew that inspiration from. Um, but he's an in- interesting character because he's a murderer of widows. But he's also a self-proclaimed man of God, and he's always talking about God and, and telling stories and, you know, very much living like a preacher. And I think that's even how he he makes a little bit of money in between his widow killings. Right. And he even has scenes where he talks to God and he prays to God to send him to... Uh, to send him send him another widow that's yeah. rich and so he can spread his word yeah and you know what's funny that uh he prays to god to send him another victim and uh god grants his prayers his prayers right. so like maybe the god at least in this movie he does have some special relationship with him because he keeps sending him these perfect candidates <laughs> for him to kill and and the the movie is about him finding the uh, the most perfect candidate that he's ever found before. Right, and that's interesting because the opening shot. Okay, not the opening shot, not the creepy shot with all the kids' heads in the yeah, sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after we get past that, and the kids are playing hide and seek, yeah. and the camera comes down, yeah. and then we see the dead body, and then it comes back up, and then it goes down to the preacher. That's almost like God's eye view or something like that. Like yeah. So it like kind of associates God with this preacher. You know what's funny? I didn't actually realize that they used helicopter shots back then either. So right, it was yeah. kind of cool to see that. I, I don't know when they what year they started doing that, but it could have been that far along in the process. This was more of an independent film. Um, it was United Artists, but it was kind of outside the studio. So like you get more um, on set location okay. shots. Um, so I think. A lot of major studios wanted to film inside their uh, studios, mm-hmm. so that's why you don't get a lot of oh, okay. high-angle shots and stuff. So, first impressions, Mikey. See, I, I really... You labeled this as a classic, and uh, John, and I, I know, Austin, you recommended this movie, but I, I really could not get on board of this movie in any way. I, I really... I The preacher character... Well, the really over-the-top religious tones really shut me off and then once i i kind of locked out that character the the thrill the thriller portion the suspense portion the horror portion really wasn't there for me it was it was really too predictable and then it it really turned into a a child's version of african queen on me about halfway through the film and i just really didn't care for it that's putting it in awfully simplistic terms (laughs) why why do you say a, a version of african queen uh the because they're on they're, a boat, they're escaping what's upstream <laughs> oh. to sail downstream to confront their 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 demon. Okay, and you didn't like African Queen either. I, you know what's funny is I did watch African Queen right after I watched Ombre. Well, actually, what happened was is I watched until they got onto the boat. They the the town was burned. Her brother died, and that movie had really strong religious tones too in in the very beginning of it. And then I changed the channel. 
and I came back when they got downstream, and you know, obviously, you know, their relationships have come together, and mm-hmm. they blew up the, the Nazi boat, and everyone's happy. End of movie. I felt like I had a perfect experience with that. This <laughs> you one, just cut out the whole middle of the movie. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> feel like it. Respecting the classics, right there. It, it, I, it, it's just, a opening act, and then there's a closing <laughs> act. It's the meat and the sandwich. Problem solved, <laughs> Mikey. You just found it's such an efficient way to watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> like you should do that with every movie. And I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I was being just. I don't know. Uh, I'll, so we'll were talk you, more were about you, it. Were you bored? Is that what? I was bored. Okay. Um, so is that the primary reason why you hate it? Is you were you were bored? You know, we we've talked on this podcast before about not liking certain eras of movies. Yeah, and I think the fifties is where I start falling off. Uh, like this was this was nineteen fifty five. Mm-hmm. African Queen was nineteen fifty one. I I the film style, the way they're 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 presented, I I don't. I, I can't get on board with. There are some very old school type scenes in it, like um, things that you don't see in, in modern movies, like uh, when Peter Graves is looking for a place to hide the money. Uh, he's thinking out loud. So he goes, oh, should I put it here? Oh, no, they'd look for it there. Right. Uh, maybe I should bury it uh, in the garden. Oh, no, of course they would dig for it. And that's kind of cheesy that he has to think out loud like that. And that's something that I saw in older movies. That's one of the weaker parts. It, that yeah. whole performance, too, is really... St- but at the same time, it kind of works because it's so bizarre. Like, yeah, you know, he can act better than that. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's not a perfect movie by any means, but uh, you know, it has some cheesy parts in it, like that part where he's speaking out loud to himself. Um, uh, Robert Mitchum's introduction, I thought, was pretty cheesy, where he's driving down the road and he's talking to God. He's like, "Well, God, you better bring me some more widows." And... But that's part of the the appeal of this film too. It, it, really? Like, well, okay, like. The film's very conscious about what America is. And, like, mm-hmm. this is, like, a... Have you, like, do you notice, like, how the music is constantly in counterpoint with the material? Like, it sounds like the soundtrack to Peter Pan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, I didn't notice that. It's, a, it's like, like okay, when he's talking to God, I, I think the music's pretty cheerful or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, mm-hmm. like little xylophones playing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's like it's getting behind the characters when it really shouldn't be. It's almost like it's saying... This is a wholesome film, and it's not letting on that it's a really dark film. Oh, okay. Like, I thought that was just his music, like his. Well, no, I guess because he has more ominous music later on in the film, so right. I guess it's not. I mean, the whole film is like a fairy tale, but it's like yeah. a really dark fairy tale. Yeah. See, I saw it as is a great movie, but it had some flaws like that that were little mistakes, little just imperfections. Yeah, and that, that's um, partly the budget. I mean, this is his first film and his last film, unfortunately. Yeah, or like when Robert Mitchum is chasing the kids up the stairs and he looks like Frankenstein and he's like, ah, like yeah, that. But, I mean, you could see, they, and they talk about it in the commentary about why they had to do some of that stuff because the length of the staircase and Robert Mitchum could take bigger steps and they so they had to slow him down somehow. And it was like they were just solving these little problems and, and some of them came out to be a little noticeable. But those are just small nitpicky things. Overall, I, I love the movie because, um, first of all, the, the use of light and shadow in the movie mm-hmm. is incredible. And some of the shots that, uh, especially the first time that the 
kids see Robert Mitchum's shadow right. uh, when the the little boy is standing in the bedroom at night mm-hmm. and you can see this shadow of the window on the wall. And they actually have an interesting shot there, too, where the camera goes on the other side of the wall as if it were looking through the window, but there's no window. It's just a shadow of a window. Um, so it, it's probably difficult to get a picture of what I'm talking about. But if you've seen it, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then when he's staring at that shadow of the window on the wall and then he sees Robert Mitchum's silhouette or Robert Mitchum's shadow come into uh, the window, that that's an awesome shot. And it's like that throughout this whole movie. There's just It's got that very, uh, even though it's a fairy tale, but it's got that noir feel, feel to it right. where they there's always something ominous lurking in the shadows. You never get to see the full screen. Robert Mitchum always has shadows on his face, um, even in the sunlight. So... Um, the way that they used light in this movie was incredible. And especially one of my favorite scenes was when Robert Mitchum goes to kill the, uh, the, the mother, Shelly Winters. And she's laying there on her pillow, and she just kind of has accepted her fate that she's going to be killed now. Mm-hmm. And if you look at around her head on the pillow is like a halo of light. Um, and it reminds me of the old paintings, the old classical like religious paintings where they didn't paint halos like they were some hula hoop above someone's head like you see in cartoons now. The halos were actually like a ball of light around the head. Right. And that's what it reminded me of when they shot her head like that. And but it looked really cool. It was the contrast. She's there looking angelic and about to be massacred by this evil god. So, right. And um, she's talking like this quasi-religious, like brainwashed mumbling. Yeah. And also the shadows make her look like she's in a coffin already. Like, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even notice that. See, I might have to go back and do a second viewing and catch some of those things about it. But the light and the shadows were almost like a whole character in this movie. Right. It was played an integral part. It was really, really cool to see some of that. Um. Yeah, and uh, how about the misogyny in it of, or of the character? Like how he has his little what switchblade, mm-hmm. which is obviously oh yeah, like yep. he's in the burlesque show, and then like he pops it out. Like, yes, I love that that whatever. scene because he's watching this scantily clad woman dance on stage, and uh, so instead of instead of popping a boner, he like pops the blade out of his right. switchblade. So saying that he's so repressed sexually that he. You know, he would rather whip out his knife and kill than mm-hmm. than be sexually attracted or aroused by her. But that that's a very also American thing, like of of repression of sexuality, especially yeah. in Christian circles. Of like, like that's one like the bullet points if you're a pastor with a large congregation, you're gonna have to hit that sex angle of sex, any like sign of like sexuality being a bad thing. Yeah. And um, it, it might be saying that God is part of that, like. Because if God is finding this guy wives to kill, like that's part of, like kind of cleansing yeah. the earth of women. That's more or less yeah. what we're talking about here. Yeah, I get the in- impression that God is an evil character in this movie. Right. At, at some points. Well, I mean, like I'm just saying, like the Old Testament God, that misogyny. Hmm. You know, the, I'm not gonna get into that, but I mean, there are certain links there. And what was my? Oh yeah, like okay, the perfect summing everything up. His wedding night. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was gonna just gonna bring that up. So, um, like that, it's it's a really heartbreaking scene, especially with, you can see how nervous she is, like how she covers up her cleavage, which isn't really even there. Like, yeah, like no, I'm not doing this. I'm not being sexual. Like on my fucking wedding night, yeah. but you know, sex only for procreation. 
Only that, to that is a funny scene because she's she's all doing herself up in the in the bathroom, you know, making sure her hair looks good and stuff. And then when she comes out to, you know, what do you call it? Consummate the wedding or mm-hmm. whatever. Consummate the marriage. Yes, thank you. Uh, so when she comes out of the bathroom and she's expecting to have sex with her husband on their wedding night, and and he just totally rejects her and says no you know what this your body is not for sin your body is for procreation and so but as soon as he says he gives her an indication that like no we're not having sex she collapses face down into the pillow like she's so upset she's just just, she's just like oh and she collapses it's so funny like because she's been a widow for you know several months or maybe a a year or so Mm -hmm. that she hasn't gotten laid in so long that she's so let down that he's not gonna have sex with her so i thought that was a nice little touch her reaction is huge to the fact that she's not gonna have sex that night And then you have the counterpart of that in the the Lily and Gish character, who is the uh, caretaker of the kids at the end. Yeah. Because, like, um, the, what, tween daughter? um, The whore? Yeah, Yeah. like, I've been with men or whatever, and her her reaction is very loving. Like, you're just trying to love in the best way that you know how. Slut. Yeah. (laughs) She is. You know what I love about that character, too? At At the end... She, you know, she falls in love with the killer, Robert Mitchum. And after only talking to him for like five minutes, and he, he just shows her a little bit of attention and I think pays her one compliment. And then suddenly she's completely in love with him mm-hmm. to the point where even after she finds out that he's a murderer and they're going to hang him, she's like, but I still love him. <laughs> it's so funny. So, yeah, it is. Uh, they, they don't make the women look too good in this movie other than... Um, Lily and Gish. Right. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if the women look terrible. I think that's just a sign of repression. It's like the, the girl's so repressed and everybody's repressed. Well, she's an orphan too. So, right. I mean, it might not only be the repression, but like she, like Miss Cooper said, that she's looking for love because she didn't have it. She's been orphaned. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, maybe repression's not the right word, but just uh, Americans trying to understand their own sexuality and trying yeah. to come to terms with it based on their own individual needs and i love uh miss cooper's character too because this robert mitchum is such a badass killer yet the kids are still able to escape from him Mm -hmm. his clutches and uh but when the kid tries to escape from miss cooper she just goes and grabs his ass and spanks him and he's like don't you run from me get back there and take a bath yeah so i thought that's showing that yeah she's more badass than the killer because nobody escapes miss cooper and how about that amazing scene where they sing the hymn together that i yes i love that scene especially first of all when the scene first opened the way she's sitting in the rocket the rocking chair holding a shotgun on her lap and reminding me it 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 was so bizarre because she looks like whistler's mother holding a shotgun well i think we should set it up a little kind of give because i think we're doing disservice that that he's actually pursuing the children because Mm. um their father uh stole ten thousand dollars yeah yeah we we, we went way overboard with that go ahead mikey so okay so uh uh their father stole uh, ten thousand uh, dollars. He was subsequently arrested in front of them, not before he hid the ten thousand um, dollars. It was very obvious that he hid it in the doll, although no one, or his, you know, the child uh, daughter's his daughter's doll. Um, and he swears his son not to tell anyone the secret that yes, in fact, he does know where the money is, but he is not going to tell anybody, not even his mom. So she meets the her her mom, or he eventually gets. Uh, uh, executed, he gets hanged. Um, 
the preacher is his cellmate. He goes, he, that's the woman has handed him his next victim. Uh, he eventually marries her. Uh, then he eventually subsequently kills her because yeah. he, she, he's, she's on to the fact that he is Every, only there for yeah. the money. Everybody knows that the money was never found. Yeah. So everybody suspects that the wife or the kids know where the money is. So that's why the preacher is drawn to her. Um, so then eventually the, the children flee from him, um, hence the African Queen boat ride. Um, then they arrive at the, or they get taken in by Miss Cooper, Miss Cooper, who treats, you know, who, who has a couple other orphans uh, of her own. And this is when the preacher comes back, finds out they're still there and knows that they have the money at this point. Yes. Yeah, so he's, he comes up and he tries to talk Miss Cooper into just giving him the children because they're, because since he married their mom, then they are now his children and the mom is dead. But so, but Miss Cooper doesn't fall for it. She doesn't give him the children. She figures out right away that he's lying um, so he leaves, but he says he'll be back. And then that night, she's waiting for him to come back. So she's sitting in a rocking chair with a shotgun on her lap. And then he appears on the fence outside the yard, and he starts singing this song. And then she's, it, it, instead of being startled that he's out there, then she joins in and sings the other portion of this song that's about Jesus. So it's interesting. And he doesn't say Jesus, but she's, she mentions Jesus. And that was one of the things I got out of the commentary that they never let him say Jesus throughout the whole movie. Huh. But um, but she does, and she sings the part about Jesus in that song. So they have this little duet. He starts singing, and which really should be unnerving and creepy, that there's a killer outside singing, your, singing a song. Mm-hmm. And she just sits there with her shotgun and starts singing right along with him, showing right. she's not afraid of him. And uh, she, you know, she knows that she can protect these kids. And she's religious, too, and so she has God's strength behind her. So it, and he does. If if I guess God's not an evil character in this movie because he does protect her and the children, kind of though. But she's she's so proactive about it. It's it's not like she's waiting on anything. She yeah. she's such a like a I don't know how you want to say it. I mean she's she's such a protector. Like you get the sense that she knows how cruel life is. Yes, and like so that's her passion. It's kind of like a. Mother Teresa, they read her journals after she died, yeah. and she was actually completely filled with doubt. Um, and every day, everything she did was like just a way to cleanse that doubt. Like, mm. and each day she'd come back and be like, "I'm seeing such horrible things. How can God allow this?" Mm-hmm. But she's in the position to take care of what she can. So, yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not knocking her. Like, she could be religious, and I do like that. That there's like, it's the same God that is coming at it from two yeah. completely different angles um okay now how about uh let's see influence that we can see on this film on other films um well i mentioned the love hate thing on cape fear right so. and robert mitchum is actually in that um yeah in in the in the remake of cape fear he's in both he's in both versions yeah. of cape fear but yeah now i wondered if there was some some reference to uh, a comic book or that type of art style since that was it was about the golden age of comic books, especially when uh, he takes them down into the cellar mm-hmm. and they attempt to flee. There's this this yeah. really f- fantastically framed shot where up on the top right of the screen is the doorway leading down into it, and the top left of the screen is all black. So mm. it's just it's just framed out as if mm. there was something else to be there. And then across the bottom of the screen, you have the whole cellar scene and just the way they framed people coming in and out and. Yeah. 
the way that was probably you know that is my favorite part of the movie that that whole scene the way that the way that that was shot the cellar the cellar scene how it was framed how it was shot how mm-hmm. they presented it yeah yeah it's it's kind of like you can see the set almost like it's someone just split it in half and you get like a side scrolling view of it or something yeah. comic book it's a great it, and that the lights and darks it's almost like an ink like the black is so dark it's almost mm-hmm. like I, I see what you're saying um but how about like do you see like any of uh jack nicholson's character in the shining like how over the top he is and how violent and how, like how he's like a constant hunter <laughs> do you see what i'm saying because jack nicholson goes way over the top in that movie too yeah he does and it's almost in the same way that okay okay we haven't even talked about this yet and i don't even know how we didn't when he, the kids get away in the raft mm-hmm. and like he's like <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so yeah he has a bizarre sound that he makes when the children are escaping in the boat and he's a strange character anyway he does a lot of goofy things like he's very menacing and very frightening to the children and this this movie's supposed to be told from their perspective mm-hmm. but to the adults he's not as frightening he he's kind of ridiculous like he does the Frankenstein hands when he's coming up the stairs mm-hmm. and then he makes that weird sound when they're getting away in the boat he's like <laughs> and uh they actually in the commentary that's another thing they said that I think Robert Mitchum let out that scream and I think they actually stretched out the audio to make it longer than it really oh, wow. was so that might be part of the reason why it sounds even weirder and then when he gets shot, he starts like whooping like some kind oh, yeah. of strange <laughs> bird and jumping up and down, going ah! ah, ah. He's he's almost like a cartoon character as right. he's jumping up and down, running out of the house and into the barn. Um, so yeah, he's he's got a lot of um, just odd. He's an odd figure because he's so menacing at one at some points and just so ridiculous <laughs> at other points. So mm-hmm. um, also, like I see the root of maybe the Terminator. Because, like, even the boy, when he's in the hay loft, it says, you know, yeah. he's just Doesn't keeps coming. Doesn't he sleep? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. That's kind of like Night of the Hunter. That might even be where the title comes from. He's, like, almost omnipresent. And also, it's kind of weird, because he's going in the opposite direction that the kids go when they go off on the raft. Oh, really? And then he ends up in the town anyway. <laughs> I, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. He steals a horse and rides after, or not necessarily rides after, but just rides. Did the commentary mention that that was, like, a... A miniature donkey with a midget on it. Yes, yeah, yeah they did. <laughs> That's a shot that where they had to use a force perspective because they didn't they didn't have the space to make him look as far away as he needed to look. Right. So what they did is they they put a real small person who might have been a, a dwarf. I, I don't remember if they said specifically, and they put the dwarf on basically a miniature pony, and that was supposed to be Robert Mitchum riding on a horse. A dwarf on a pony, but they only showed his silhouette, so it made it look like he was further away. That so. looks terrific. I never would have known that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know either until they said in the, in in, the commentary in Casablanca um, when the planes in the background and uh, they're working on it. You know, the end scene. Those are midgets yeah. working on prop planes as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a trick in Hollywood. <laughs> keep keep the dwarfs handy. I, yeah, I, I don't think they call them midgets anymore, Austin. Yes. <laughs> you just offended a whole group of listeners. Thanks. Yeah. Our Siamese twin midget. They're midgets, Actually, our Siamese twins probably don't listen to us anymore either because they're supposed to be conjoined twins. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm actually saying midget because I think they use the word midget on the commentaries that I'm getting this information oh, from. Oh, okay. That's... 
Yes. That doesn't <laughs> that make makes it any... a whole lot better. No, but that's why it's coming out that way. I said dwarf. I corrected myself. I was... You did. <laughs> I just I thought mean, I would point that out. Okay. I'm, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I have long, no love for humanity. As long as you understand that. <laughs> um, let's see. Terminator. What? Oh, um, how about we haven't discussed uh, when Shelly Winters is... Hanging dead in the water. and Now that was probably what, I mean, I don't know the history of cinema as well as you do. Was that the first, like, scene that of that's that graphic with a dead body and looking real with a big slit in her throat? I mean, kind of. The slit in the throat is pretty shocking. But, yeah. Um, I, I was surprised at how kind of graphic that scene was for the time. But What did you think about that, Mikey? You think that was an interesting image, at least, and oh, oh and how the Uncle Ben or whatever is fishing. Like the hook yeah. is like right there. You, I yeah. think it's going to hook her face or something. I wonder how many takes it took to get the hook to get caught on the car because yeah. that wouldn't be easy. Uh, but. Metal line. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that but that shot was kind of creepy at first, and then um, it's kind of Burton esque too. Like I yeah. think that's very Burton. The, the way this the what the the reeds or whatever in the water was mm-hmm. kind of waving like her hair it was it was kind of an it was a beautiful shot but an ugly shot mm-hmm. yeah so, I, I was gonna say it is a very i mean it was a gorgeous shot yeah and then it followed by a shot that didn't really work for me because he looks down in the water and it's like the clearest water ever like it's, yeah. it looks like he's looking in a bathtub or something yeah so i think that would have been better if i mean if if the water is going to be that clear he could have solved that problem by having a little when they were fishing when he was fishing with a little boy in the boat if he just said if the little boy just said oh the water's so clear and he said something like oh yeah every summer this lake gets clear as day and you can see clear to the bottom or right. something and it would then i wouldn't have thought twice about that but looking at it the way it was it was like you shouldn't be able to see to the bottom of a lake that clearly the water would always be a little more murky than that. It was pretty clear, but I gotta be honest, the first time I saw it on DVD, I didn't think about it. Maybe it's just because it's so... Oh, you, well, you know what? I tend up. to be more of a nitpicky movie watcher anyway, so I, I pick those things out. Unfortunately, because it makes me enjoy some movies less than I should. So, mm-hmm. what else did you hate about it, Mikey? Yeah. What did I hate about it? See, yeah. This is the weird thing. Just in talking about this, I'm getting really excited like this is such a great movie it's <laughs> and then I, I really am totally confused at what you didn't like about it um i there's some of the shots that i i thought were really pretty like the the cellar scene and the underwater mm-hmm. scene um i didn't like the heavy over religious overtones but i think i already stated mm-hmm. that but in what way if you wouldn't mind um it it seemed that all the characters were driven by religion in some way mm-hmm. but it's in the bible belt I mean, let's be fair about this. Yeah, yeah but uh, I don't watch many movies about the Bible Belt for that okay. purpose. It just that just turns me off. Okay. Um, I just thought I I found it funny that <laughs> whenever they went to court, there was always Abraham Lincoln's <laughs> portrait behind the judge. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it's surreal. Like this movie is surreal. Like it can get away with weird little things like that quirks. Of being like too obvious about things, like it's just so perfect, you can't help but notice. Yeah, but I mean, it was built. I mean, as you read the the material or even the previews for this particular movie, it was built to be suspenseful and horrorful, mm. but yet it still falls to all the the kind of cliche movie tricks that they had 
in early cinema days where especially when he's chasing them like right before the scream um he's chasing them he's walling through the mud to get to them but obviously they can't get the boat off the shore fast enough so he obviously slows down and falters just lo- oh you're just out of reach yeah and even though you're slowly floating away i'm not going to pursue you at an obvious pace that i could catch you i'm going to stop and scream you have to overlook some of those flaws because yeah. I, I picked up on some of those too but the the other parts of the movie were good enough that i could forgive that so sounds like for you the other parts weren't as interesting for you to forgive that stuff too so uh, so it sounds like Mikey gives it a, a, a not recommended. Uh, Austin and I would recommend it, especially if we could, um, especially if you don't mind some of the cheesy 1955 type movie tropes. Movie, yeah, exactly. There's some of those things in there. You need to forgive some of the flaws, but overall, you're. I think you're going to be rewarded if you can appreciate older cinema. Yeah. If you um, can put yourself into the era of the film. Mm-hmm you're going to enjoy this film. But yeah. at the same time, I didn't think of this as a genre film. Like, that's where I think you're coming from. Like, like on paper, yeah, that all makes sense. But while you're watching it, I think just because it's so original, like, in how it's filmed and presented, like, I didn't I didn't think of it as, like, oh, yeah, and he's going to chase the kids. And, like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, I, Yeah, I, I didn't get that either. But I think he's saying, like, when the kid was running away and jumping in the boat, like, Robert Mitchum should have caught him. But then he clumsily falls down in the mud, and, right. and so that. He but at can't the same time, him. the kids were working through the mud as they were looking back for like a minute. They actually went slower than Robert Mitchum. I'll just say that. But yeah. yes, I when I saw that, I'm like, oh crap! Somebody's going to mention this <laughs> <laughs> and not just look over. <laughs> so well, that's why I said I'm not. Yeah. I'm not overlooking them. There are fl- like little flaws in the movie, but um, overall, you know, I still think it's a classic. I still think. Just just seeing it just for the cinematography, for Stanley Cortez's light and shadow, it, yeah. I think is amazing. Oh, yeah, and he was a cinematographer on uh, Magnificent Amberson, So Yeah, and uh, you know what's funny? In the commentary, somebody made the comment about how Stanley Cortez said that light is one of the most important things in cinema, and the only two directors he's ever worked with that truly understood it are... Uh, Charles Lawton. Charles Lawton and Orson. Citizen Kane. Orson Welles, thank you. I almost called him Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you what you you knew what I was talking about. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of people think that it's a tragedy that Charles Lawton didn't get to direct any other movies. Uh this was his only movie. Um but you know what? When I think about the t- I kind of compare this to the Taj Mahal. When the Taj Mahal was being built, they hired the most skilled craftsmen and sculptors to uh, build the the Taj Mahal and put these ornate designs into the walls and everything. And then as soon as the Taj Mahal was done, the king cut off all their hands so that they could never build another, there could never be any structure built that would rival the Taj Mahal. They could never recreate their work. And so in a way it's brutal and it's sad. Yes. But, hey, there is nothing as special as the Taj Mahal, right? So that's kind of the way I feel about this Charles Lawton film. Is it, It's almost super special because it is the only thing he ever committed to film. And I almost appreciate it a little bit more because of that. So. That's true. I see your point. Any other hater aid? I don't feel like I've gotten enough hate out of you. Because okay, I, okay. your face is really full of hate. <laughs> it just... it. I, I think for me, I've seen plenty of other suspenseful movies that because this was a movie that was done 
so pre everything else I have seen, all the the tropes that they used to me have already been done, and I'm I'm over them. Yeah. Um, and that really took me out of the film. The fact that oh he hid the mo- the money in the doll, I saw that that didn't there was it detracted me because I was it just was too obvious. Was the, it, like was it ob- like do you think his character should have saw through that or is it obvious? It wasn't the fact that his later. character should have seen through that. It's the fact that even the police were just like, oh, we have him. The money is missing. Let's go. And they just left. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on. Really? That's the most... You have the the criminal. You're not going to pursue anything else any yeah. further. But that's off screen that they searched for it because the whole town's saying the cops searched everywhere. Did it seem odd also that they went through all this trouble for $10,000? Like, I know that was more money in 1955, but... Or actually, it's this it's movie takes in place in, in the Depression, so... Yeah. So it's it's more money, but still, you know, it didn't seem like it was so much money that the kids wouldn't have given it up rather than go on this incredible, you know, journey where they had to run from this killer. Seems like they would have just been like, you know what, this isn't worth the money. Maybe they thought he was, I mean, he's menacing. Like, Yeah, maybe he once, he, once he got the money, then he would just kill him anyway. Yeah. So, um, but it's funny that the... The motivation for robbing the bank was that he wanted his kids to to never want for anything. So he he robbed this bank so he could get this money. He intended it for it to be a blessing for his children, and it really ended up cursing them mm-hmm. un- until the little boy got rid of the money. At the end of the movie. So. Sons of a father. Actually, there is a father son relationship thing in this movie, yeah. which is mm-hmm. interesting. Yep, it's just really a bizarre one it because is. even at the end he. Says the same thing he said about his own father when yeah. they're bringing Mitchum away. Yep, exactly. So if you uh, agree with us or disagree with us, then you can let us know. Email us at nerdflixpodcast at gmail.com. Next week's featured movie is going to be Dogtooth. I'm sorry, I said next week. We're actually bi-weekly. So uh, in next episode's featured movie is going to be Dogtooth. Uh, it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, it didn't win. But it was nominated last year. So we'll be watching that one. Apparently, uh, from what I know about it, it's about a group of children or a couple siblings that are raised in kind of a a rich, uh, raised by rich parents, but very isolated to the point where the parents might even be telling them things that aren't true. Um, So I... And I'm interested and drawn to this movie because I have always wondered about that growing up. Like, what if you had a kid and raised him out in the woods and told him that a dog was a cat and everything and up was down? And, you know, how how jacked up would they be when they got to society and couldn't communicate? So it sounds like this movie's a little bit on the, along those lines. I don't know a ton about it, but I'm looking forward to watching it and uh, having a good discussion in two weeks about it. So. Um, We want your feedback, so please email us and uh, visit us at nerdflix.blogspot.com. If you like the show, then review us on iTunes. Uh, If you don't like the show, then uh, please don't review us, but just stop listening for about three months and then come back and see if we've gotten any better, okay? So, for Mikey Simons and Austin Kent, I am J.M. Thomas saying, until next time, everybody, nerd out.
Okay, seriously. Was it really good? <laughs> I re- no, no, I really liked it. Now, okay. the part at the very end of the movie, when they're, he, he's sitting on the, uh, the porch, and the guy comes and offers him a cigarette, and, yeah. he, and he says, and he's like, reverted back. Yeah. That was him, because he said that last little line, is yeah. it better to be <laughs> insane? Yeah, live as a monster or die as a good man. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he totally did that on purpose oh, yeah. to get lobotomized. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. Really do we want to keep that part in? Or we well, I was thinking one. maybe we could just do this as a blooper reel. And because if somebody wants to hear it, it's at the end of the episode. And if they want to shut it off, they can. And we can give the warning at the very end. So, okay. Well, right. Plus, we gave ourselves a break. We can cut it right out. Okay. Cool. So, do we want to keep talking about it and spoil it? Like, just talk I'm about it. keep ending? talking oh, about yeah. it. Are because we done talking about it? No, I don't know. I mean, the lake house scene, which is what I think you were referring to when you said the ending, the part of the ending that you like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We found the the we went home and visited his wife. Yeah, that, that was, was one of the most powerful scenes I've seen in a long time. That that was incredible. Yeah, and then and the way that he, you know, he felt like it was all his fault because he knew she was basically not right in the head, and he didn't go and get her help, and mm-hmm. and she ended up, you know, killing all three of their children, and so that was an intense scene, and then he shoots her too so then he feels guilty over that because he killed his wife and that whole thing that whole scene was just it was really really well done really well acted right the fact that it was like so sunny and birds were chirping the entire time it was like such a good contrast between like the horror like uh dressing of the uh dark house is that how you say it the uh the 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 concentration camp oh okay oh dachau oh yeah yeah dachau yeah, it was so, um, like, that was almost, like, over the top. Like, you know, it was completely desaturated of any color, and everything kind of looked grimy and everything. I mean, which works, because you don't even know if this is really happening or not. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's about, like, that kind of um, existential dread that came in over after the war, where, like, yeah, we won, but at what cost? Or not even at what cost, but, like, there was so much violence that we had to fight with violence. Um, and I think that that's like a theme is like, how far can you get peace through violence? Because it obviously doesn't work for him as yeah. he kills his wife. But at yeah. the same time, you understand that like her, her reasoning for killing her kids might've even had something to do with, it's almost like post-traumatic shock or something like that, where like you have to eliminate the danger like she wanted to eliminate the danger from her kids by killing them and then now there are perfect little dolls that we can put in like yeah so <clears throat> i had just been doing like a lot of research on world war Two. i do this like once a year while i just go get, i don't know it's my favorite thing to research so like i watched this like right at the end of all that and um it was just like a perfect topper because all that dread that i start feeling while reading about all this yeah. stuff it was like expressed so painfully and beautifully and it just blew me away this yeah movie. this is great it was great and then especially at the end when he goes and when he first finds his kids like he goes and he kisses his wife and then he's like why are you yeah, all wet man and, that seems but it's just you you triggered this when you said about the sunny day and everything's nice and everything's fine i don't even think there was any big dramatic music or anything no. it was perfectly quiet and he just looks out there and he just sees his kids that are floating in the in the water mm-hmm. like no dramatic zoom in or anything it was almost like this just it was almost it felt real right like this just really happened this is probably how it happens when people come home and find stuff like that 
and his yeah. acting was phenomenal. Yeah. Like, I really felt it. And to be honest, I've always liked Leo, but it's been like a progression for him. Like, if you watch yeah. Gangs in New York, I don't really think he's that great. Mm-hmm. See, I'm the, I haven't always liked Leo, but mm-hmm. he's definitely winning me over now. His performances in the last several movies he's done have been really, really good. But Titanic and yeah, Gangs of New York, I, you know, he was okay. He wasn't terrible. It didn't ruin the movies for me, but no, I, mean, I didn't really care for him. And and his apparently small hands, which thanks. Now that you put that in <laughs> yeah. my head, then I'll never be able to look at him again without just staring at his hands, which I did during this movie. I kept looking at his hands, which was the only thing that distracted me from some of these scenes. But I, they didn't look abnormally small to me either. So I think you're wrong. You just gave me something to obsess over. Look at the hands. Okay, I do have to say, why did Ben Kingsley say "baby, why are you all wet"? Or like, what did he say when he walked through the door in the lighthouse? Yeah, like that really never was explained. I mean, it was a weird enough line to jolt you, but at the same time, wait, wait, no, no, because he he made because that was the the what he told his wife when he walked in. Baby, why are you all wet? Yeah. Oh, Jesus! So it just oh. shook him back to reality. Wow, I've seen that twice and I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah, and then also. Man, what did you think of the scene where he's in the jeep with the with the yeah, chief of the I guard? I really want to talk about warden? that. Yeah, do you want to? That's not really spoiler, right? No, go well, before okay, you. Well, we were we already spoiling, spoiling it. So, um, oh, you want me to talk about? It? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, it's it's after he spends the night um, in a cave and talks to um, this woman who may or may not be real that gives him this conspiracy theory about Cold War uh, uh, paranoia and controlling people through lobotomies right that was the yeah. principle um and the storm has really subsided that's been going on through those and it's um like an ex what i don't even know what he would be it looks like top brass he looks actually like um someone from the third reich like doesn't yeah. he like, yes absolutely very militant mm-hmm. so I, and that might be like a strange love kind of play where like fascism can exist anywhere even mm. in america and this guy is definitely fascist because this whole conversation is about, um, you know, you're the, you're a violent man, I'm a violent man, let's not shit ourselves, this, all this um, liberal shit that's going on around us, people trying to change things, we're just violent, and if I were to reach over and eat your eye or something like yeah. that, like, what would, would you do to stop me, kill you? good boy or something like that i forget the exact dialogue he said uh, yeah if i were to lean over and sink my teeth into your eyeball would yeah. you would you be able to stop me and then leo like pauses for a second looks and, at his very and, small and, hands yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says uh what did, did he say let's find out or there's one way to find out or something, yeah, like, something that. like that yeah. and then and then the guy says good boy so uh, but weird just a bizarre scene yeah so, which also made me start to think that yeah leo's going crazy actually i mean i was starting to think it ahead of time and that's what i think he led you down that path to where you were thinking leo was crazy mm-hmm. and then uh, then he had that scene in the cave where it kind of revealed everything the conspiracy where you were supposed to think oh he's not going crazy it's been they've been putting drugs in his food and his cigarettes so he's completely right about all this stuff and then they, he goes up to the lighthouse and, oops, he is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of this big zigzag that he, he took you on during the movie. But And know. the funny thing is, rewatching that scene, um, it was a completely different experience watching it the second time. Yeah. Um, that scene is actually the one scene where 
because he's not he doesn't want to play the role playing game. Like he's yeah. he's breaking. So like when you watch it the second time, you're like, oh, that was a huge clue. But as you were saying, the first time you watch it, it's almost like going further down the rabbit hole of mm-hmm. like what, the, what what's really going on here. Yeah. <laughs> so like the way that it plays so perfectly on two different levels is stunning alone. So yeah, I have no idea why people didn't think this was one of the best films Scorsese has ever made. No. I, I think people didn't like it because they were able to figure out the twist ending that he really was crazy, right. which, you know, he does, he, he very strongly hints at it and then he hints the other way. But then when you find out that he's crazy, people are like, Oh, I knew that in the first like hour, mm-hmm. I figured it out already. It, this it, is dumb. It's kind of like saw where as soon as you find out that someone tells you, Oh no, he's in the room the whole time. It's like, Oh shit, I'm not going to watch that movie. Yeah. So, Ah! <laughs>